Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. See yourself as the cluster. Grumpy, <laughs> <laughs> a man apart. Yeah, it's 11 in a row for you, much like it's 7 in a row for Cluxton. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Seven thirty-three. You're welcome along to OTBAM. How are you getting on? I hope life is good. That hand you can see slipping the shot there is producer Colum. Good morning to you, Colum. Hi, Adrian. Johnny Ward. Good morning to you. Morning. We're a little bit late this morning. Um, could tell you the truth, but the reality is, uh, Colum just needed to get his coffee in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Seven thirty-three. The new start time. Yeah. Why not? OTBAM. How are you, Adrian? Oh, good. I tell you what. I tell you what. Um, to continue in football speak, I've only gone and picked up the front page of the Sun this morning. The front page of the Sun this morning, right? I saw this story. I mean, it's a big I, one. I, I, I use the word story now, and yeah. I instantly <laughs> have regretted that. But on uh, online yesterday, I thought oh, that's a bit of a silly little tidbit. And then I see on the front page of the Sun this morning, it's the splash front page news story on the front page of the Irish Sun this morning. Hell of a fortune, it says here. Uh, the boom is back, baby. You can't quite see that. It's there. It's a picture of a pair of pink. Stilettos. Which way am I going? A picture of a pair of stink, uh, pink stilettos. Start the show again. Uh, 700 euro <laughs> shoes, it says, dumped in a bin at Galway Races. A you pair can of your high heels in the bin. A pair of 700 euro high heels were found dumped in a bin at Galway Races. Now, just, I, you know, it's the fact <laughs> that it's the front page is really the thing that's got me here. Security staff spotted the pink Manola Blanics after they were thrown out by the owner's boyfriend. She then Shuffled off in her bare feet. One punter said, "The boom is back." Would you would you say people would be blaming? Would be given out about OTBAM leading with this as our first story uh, the, this morning? Well, it's a sports story, of course. The baffling discovery was revealed, revealed. Uh, the reporter writes by RT journalist Theresa Mannion, just as Ladies' Day was off and running at Ballybrit. The reporter said security staff spotted the owner take off the pink suede designer stilettos and hand them to her partner. The man proceeded to dump the muddied heels in the bin. As she walked on barefoot. One punter, one punter laughed, worse than losing your shirt. Another said, the boom is back. Yeah, do, um, they probably were like, can you just say that so we can put it in the piece there, you know? I'm not sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the casting aspersions. Like, sorry, the front page of the sun. Like, yeah, have, big is, stuff. You know, has anybody ruled out the possibility that these were not were five euro Manulu? I'm sure they were, they were vetted, in fairness. Um, it's one of my... One of my um, Things that kind of annoys me in journalism is when they say, like, um, he reveals when he says something that is yeah. not a revelation, but something that he's alleging or says himself happened. It's not a revelation. Or it's just run of the mill. And, yeah, it's also like, well, you're saying this. I'm not sure that's a revelation because you're just telling me something. I'm not sure if it happened or not. I'm not sure this happened or not. And I'm not sure those quotes happened or not. But who am I and to I'm doubt the I'm not even sure they're in all the Blanics or not. <laughs> it's all a load of Blanics. Um Galway had great crowds yeah. yesterday, though. It was like, I was there and the... On the Wednesday, sorry, what day is it anymore? And um, the crowds were huge yesterday, and uh, yeah, good, good buzz in the place. Yeah, always just 
yeah, Galway's Galway. Willie Mullins and Paul Tannen doing their stuff again yesterday. Yeah, one with the four-year-old horse in the Galway hurdles, Eric the Brave, which would have been unusual. Really good performance. Again, the plate and the hurdle dominated by big trainers. That's kind of the way the national hunt game is going. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a good performance. I was at Crow Park last uh, Sunday and had a great day out. I was there as a neutral with my son who was very much behind uh, Dublin in his uh, Dublin mm. jersey. And it was great out. We were sat right behind the Kerry, like right behind the Kerry bench two seats back you could literally hear what Jack O'Connor was talking about it was that uh, mm. close great experience mm. not sure I should really be revealing what was said but it was a um, brilliant experience and we were in it about uh, I was struck last night watching bits of the homecoming and how well O'Connell Street looked it really had it in good light and they'd shut down the street obviously to uh, facilitate the homecoming of the Republic of Ireland teams in the wor- uh, team for the World Cup 8,000 people turned up we'll talk to Maeve de Burke a little bit later about it uh, about the atmosphere down there and uh, the body language maybe more so but Crow Park looked good uh, counter to my experience on Sunday it's a very grubby not a great you know you'd have no great desire to go out of your way to get onto a street particularly on a match day I just thought oh, it just felt like it's uh, not, not a news flash but it just it's not a um, for our main thoroughfare. It was just a bit of a grubby experience. Oh, it's well. Like I remember coming up to college and um, pointed out that like O'Connell Street had more fast food joints really yeah. than than you know probably a main thoroughfare in uh, what was the second city of the British Empire at one point uh, should have. And it you know the, the it does have Connell Street has uh, fallen in bad ways, but like. I know it's in the news a lot lately, but Dublin in general at the moment has a lot of a lot of social issues, and um, I'm uh, I'd like to think of myself as quite left wing on matters, but um, we do need to sort out these issues in the city, and it's not a bad idea, Adrian, to um, bring some life to it around the All Ireland Day because you never really go to O'Connell Street for any reason; you just go there to kind of go somewhere else. It's just what, what is it? What yeah, is it anymore? We're getting like? through. Uh, can people hear us now? Or are we still? People can hear us in the app. Mm. Yeah. The app, not on YouTube. Not on YouTube, no. We're trying to resolve that issue. That issue, right, mm. okay. Well, we look forward to that being resolved down the track. Very much so, yeah. yeah good, morning, good morning to everybody watching on YouTube who uh, can't... Uh, have Best show years. ever. Um, we've loads coming up, but we do a bit of a... Here's what's coming up on the show um, to let people know what we're uh, doing over the course of the morning, between now and 10 o'clock. Myself, Johnny and Cullum. We're going to be joined in the studio in a little bit by Vinnie Perth when we have all of our functions fully up and running, Cullum. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Finney Parts is going to be here. There's a lot of interesting developments in Europe last night. Big homecoming for the Derry team after their own heroics in uh, the Conference League. So um, we'll talk to Finney a little bit about that. A couple of games tonight as well. And I know Johnny was watching that Derry game, so we'll get his thoughts on that in just a little bit. We want to talk, um, obviously, about the uh, rugby this weekend. It's back front and centre. Is there a bit of a sense that this will be the last game where Andy Farrell tinkers with that 15? Uh, we'll have James Tracy in studio uh, in a bit to discuss that. It's the weekend of the All-Ireland Camogie Finals and Noel Connors will be here uh, to get into uh, primarily and uh, probably only Waterford against Cork in the All-Ireland uh, Senior Final and uh, way up Waterford's chances. The Cullenbuig di- uh, Derby, they're calling it. That's right. It's a big one. Yeah. A lot of nerves there in the household. Like first five, is there? Yeah, 1945. and they've never actually won it. Do you know, so a bit of nerves. They're all down in Waterford now, gathering, right? Preparing, and <clears throat> will come up? It's a bit, a bit of a buzz down there. Through the uh, fingers, yeah, there is actually, yeah. But they love their. You see, with Waterford people, like they're mad about their hurling. Very sad about the last few years. Mm. Football can't get off the ground. Like, sure, mm. like you know, you see in the power rankings, they're thirty third. Like, yeah. And the camogie is kind of the the good news story because they're 
regularly competing, but now they're actually got to the showdown. So when you talk to people from there, yeah, they're very excited about it. All they want when you talk all, to all people they, from all there, they want is for the, those unaware, Colm <laughs> lives with somebody from there, uh, his wife. All they want is a silverware. They moved That's into like, a new house this week, Johnny. They, they moved Where house. did you move to? Whitehall. Traumatic. Oh, that brings Dan, me back. Dan was telling me all about the memories of it. Traumatic experience. Yeah, like like it's stress, like it is stressful. But you know the, the thing about the problem. Well, that's one thing. And then the second thing is, it was the first time in years that it was the only thing we were both focusing on. You know, that was the oh, only yeah. thing we were thinking after the, about we- the wedding for was four, the last for one. four days. Yeah. Well, not even then we were juggling, but four days in a row. It was like a festival of moving, like, and it, all we were doing was just doing it, that. Was it enjoyable? At times it was, yeah. You got to pepper in some kind of enjoyable elements to it. Mm. The best part for me was renting a go van or go cargo, oh, as yeah. it technically was. God, I love that. Mm. Driving the van yeah. up high. You felt like a, like a workman for. It was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was amazing. And then also, you have to get it back to the depot on time. What was it like a transit if, or something? If you're a minute late, you get charged. Oh, that was a bit that, like really odd at the end. The Goodfellas, like, look, I was looking around. Be, you're, you'd be uh, eking every. You'd be waiting outside until they, like. Wheel it in I with got 15 it seconds with to go. Four, 52 seconds to spare, I think, the, the last A one. transit, was it? It was, uh, yeah. And um, it was just amazing. Like, that was the best part of it. But then you get you get very into it, but then at one point, I think it was Sunday there, we were like, just after the All-Ireland, I watched that. Took two hours out to watch that. Afterwards, I was like, looking around the house and like, we're not going to get this done in time. Yeah. Because we had to be gone on Monday. We had like, gone, gone on Monday. How much stuff did you, do you have? It's amazing. It's unbelievable. It the amount of nonsense you accumulate I know, over the years. but like... Yeah, because we had to clean out our rented place from top to bottom made sure it was clean to get the deposit back hmm. and then shift everything over to Whitehall. The problem was that it was at least a half an hour drive every time. Four days seems like a lot, Johnny, for it does. doesn't it? A lot of memories. No, it was... Um, I wouldn't have... We have three kids and I'm I don't think we'd have enough to fill four days. I'm not saying... We did absolutely everything. The, the unpacking, obviously. Everything in the four days, like building, building the beds, everything in the new place, switching some matches, so picking up va- a table. You didn't have the van for four days? No, I had it for like three hour increments throughout the days because oh, okay, it was the cost of the fortune. Yeah. So we had to go to Wicklow to get uh, a couch. Nice. Free. Yeah. And then he threw in a coffee table. Lovely fella. Oh, good man. So that was handy. He threw in a coffee table <laughs> as if you had like bought something. And, from then, uh, <laughs> and, then, and then we bought a, Part of the deal. We bought a table and chairs off this lovely one from Sally Noggin. And they retail at like a thousand and we got it for 350. Yeah. You know? You've lost interest of you. How was no, the, I was um, just checking the sound issues. We're good now. How was the how was the buying the house thing in the first place? The it whole thing. Take a long time. Yeah, it did yeah, it did. Like we went sale agreed last year, and that very that, stressful. That journey was no good. And then from start, I was like the bidding war is unbelievable. It, it actually doesn't feel real, you know, when you're bidding yeah. against other people, and then eventually you get I mean, the call. It's at accepted. times, at times it might not be accepted. That's, how do you know? It's uh, sale agreed, but that then that actually doesn't mean anything. I I have to say I was involved in this. this this whole thing in terms of selling a gaff um, for modest money now it must be said uh, just throw it out there but what was this last year and um, a geezer there was a, there was a war a bidding war between two people uh. and it was it was funny you get like every time there was a bid I got a text right mm. so it was like coming in and I don't get texts anymore like it's it's a 99.999% like WhatsApp the odd text I don't even have the notifications on but I did for this it was like so it's gone up a grand, a grand, a grand, a grand, a grand. And this has gone on. And the deadline was, say, like 12, but it went to like half one or two o'clock. And your man messes me. And he's like, there was there were two people bidding. One of them is, I don't think he's even seen the house. He's in Hong Kong or something. Mm. But the other lad had seen the house and that was grand. So uh, two months later, he just pulled out. 
Yeah. After asking me to make changes to the house and to do to, to I spent I say I spent three or four grand doing little and three or four grand was a lot for a cheap house. Making changes and then he just bailed. He just bailed just like that and he, he got all his money back and I was two months down the track. The market was contracted. So some lad had agreed to buy your house. Yeah, he's gone sale agreed. The he other asked lad you had, to make a lot of changes. Yeah, and did then, you not tell him to he was like, well, you know, because in fairness, like you, you, you buy, you, you, you enter an agreement, but then it's like, well, there are a couple of issues there. And I, I was like, he just bailed. And I was like, if somebody had come in with 20 grand more for the house, which was 20% more than it sold for, by the way, if they had come in with 20 grand more a week later, there's no way I would have sold it because I've entered an agreement yeah. with you here. But that meant nothing. Like, and he just, two months later, he just pulled out. He said, oh, I think the market's, uh, the market's kind of gone, gone a bit against me here. It's like, well, this is two months where I've, you, I, I, I've done wasted nothing here, but you wasted my time. And I had no recourse. And then the house is eventually sold for like, what, 12, 14% less a month or two later. But at that stage, I was like, maybe three months later, I was like, what, why, what does the seller have as a right here? Nothing like. Mm. I, I, tell, I just felt the whole process was totally unfair. Best of luck to him anyway. <laughs> uh, Fergus Kjol says, Jesus, now I can hear them. I wish I couldn't. We don't care about the minute of Cullum's move. To be fair, I was mm. going to ask you right, about it. Like I was asked to like, relax. Yeah. What part of White Oaks? Huh? What part of White Oaks? I've Leary... Um, Ivera Road. L- I've Leary oh. Road. I used to live in Ivera Road. God, yeah. There's a, there's a betting shop in uh, Boylesworth, uh, so I shouldn't mention, but there's a betting shop that's still there, and it was a tiny shop, and they expanded during my college days. But I, I had no interest in racing as, at all. Like, yeah. But I just went, I was so bored in college, because we think we had 10 hours a week. Went into the betting shop one day, and that's how I got into racing. Wow. Yeah, look at me now. Um, we were discussing a little bit earlier on when people couldn't hear us about the experience of All Ireland Final Day, and I was saying it was down there in Crow Park, and there's been a lot of conversation about the atmosphere at Crow Park and mm. the vibe around it and what mm. should or shouldn't happen. And I, for me, I would leave the match day experience at Crow Park as is it's absolutely fine I don't need to be in there four hours before mm. throw in we were in there about 45 minutes or so we were able to get the burger and chips take our seats sit down enjoy it a little bit the weather was obviously crap and that does impact on it particularly we were like three two two rows back you're uh, you're just in the danger zone there of when it rains you are getting wet so there's a little bit like that but look mm. by and large I think there's a perfectly fine job going on I wouldn't think about that too much. Um, but I just felt like going in and around Crow Park before the game, wouldn't there be a great opportunity looking at the homecoming last night to shut down Crow Park on an on All-Ireland final day, at least half of it, bring in food stalls, like game simulators, drink stalls. Uh, you'd have a pile of like former players milling around you, like little bits of build-up here and there. You could have like an audience building their fan zone type thing, mm. uh, tailgating type thing. Um, you could have that going on from like what the games at half three you could have that going on from 10, 11 o'clock in the morning as it builds up to the game and really like I mean even if you forgot about the right cultural reasons to try and use a admittedly grubby main thoroughfare in the city uh, for the right reasons culturally like even you'd make money out of it mm. it's, and it's not it's not to do with the GA it's a Dublin City thing um, but I, I really would urge them to have a look at something like that because I think that of all the days the proximity of Crow Park mm. Let's do it. It's a good shout, like, because there's so many articles written in the Irish Times alone about the state of Dublin city centre and how grimy it is, and particularly O'Connell Street. That should be your Champs-Élysées. Like, if you look at it, it's amazingly wide. should be beautiful. Beautiful street, if you look at it objectively. But then you walk through it, and the vibe is completely contrasting to what you see. Yeah. It's just unsettling. Like, you walk by, and you're just on edge the whole time. And nine times out of ten, absolutely nothing happens. But you just have a sense that anything could kick off at any point. And also, even besides that, yeah. it's just a bit dirty. This this idea, by the way, wouldn't solve that. But no, no, it wouldn't as, solve as it, a but, it would, but like nothing is working at the moment. And the dash suggestion, that helps two things. First of all, it talks in Sunday 
has been like the lack of entertainment around the All-Ireland Final that mm. they rely solely on the game itself which is fine but there's no big day out or no Super Bowl equivalent and then the second thing is yeah. that's one proactive positive solution to the problem of O'Connell Street so it kind of works in both ways I'd love to see it happen You could make it like a kind of a food festival thing as well like where they, the, you're, if you're going to the match um, like if you're going to Game and Croker your, your options are really sh- crap food like basically burgers yeah. or whatever chips like along the way and these like Foul swelling kind of vans um, spewing out crap or whatever, and make make it a festival and make it a, make it a thing. It's not a bad call, like because mm. O'Connell Street is it is quite sad to see where what it has become. Like it's uh, you've, you've really no reason to be there, and you don't really want to be there much of the time. The only collective community thing you can do going in on Ireland final day is to go for a pint. Mm. That's brutal, mm. do you know? Yeah. Brutal. And I know there are people out there who don't want. Uh, Famously, don't want eight-year-old kids going to uh, All Ireland Final Day or the semi-finals. Tickets should be reserved for other people. I think was the point that was made a few years ago, mm. which I couldn't uh, disagree with in any more sort of vociferous terms. But um, I'd like an alternative mm. of something to do, and I think that that would be a good one. And, and as I said, wine like, or shots or not, yeah, no yeah, points, yeah. So. wine and cheese. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I, that's I went that. from. I remember going from uh, when Galway played our Mal last year. We 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 went from a. A Gaelic games match to a wine tasting afterwards. Nice. It just happened to be the same day, all Central Condrep, which was probably a first ever. The uh, dichotomy of Johnny Ward right there in a mm. nutshell. Yeah, nice wine and a, and, a, and, a, and a good game of football. I wonder, um, yeah, like the two examples so far, so it would have worked really well for the All Ireland final with Dublin in it, and then the homecoming last night with the football team. Yeah. And the captain of Dub and like a big Dublin presence in the team. So it worked there. But I wonder if you're getting two non. Dublin teams involved would you still attract be a different, it, it would be a different thing right but like I think you'd have enough businesses commercial support um, it, it would be a smaller scale thing right no question about it mm-hmm. like as in when Dublin are playing the All-Ireland Final it's um, it's how do, I, how do I word this that's the correct way like it's not the same it doesn't it doesn't capture the city clearly in the same way that when Dublin are playing. So yeah. you're going to have that knock-in. That's just the way it is. Can you have but beers on the street then or is that allowed? Oh yeah, I think that's can, yeah. I think part of shutting it down, you would mm. you, Dublin City would be would be saying, Hey, Dublin City, can we serve pints here? Yeah, sure, that sounds that sounds like an, mm. Do you know what I mean? Like if you if you're shutting it down as a thing, but it shouldn't like I'm saying, I don't think it should be only about having pints. It should be whatever it is, food. So I was at the, yeah. Monaco, had the, had the um, pleasure of being at the Monaco Grand Prix early in the year and they clearly have to shut the city down to facilitate the thing. Um, but they have loads of stuff going on. Like they had mm. little Formula One simulators. They had like this thing where you could go in. Um, myself and my wife went on and took on two random people at how quickly we could change a tyre. So they have all that sort of stuff going on. There's no reason you couldn't have similar things mm. wrapped around this. It'd make loads of money. Local business would be delighted with you. Mm. More people on their bikes, Johnny, because the Traffic will be there'll be a minor um, effect on traffic, obviously in the area. Yeah, over the course of the day, which I think would be we could live with that. It's funny as well the the bars in or around O'Connell Street. It's questionable what business they do generally. Um, like, do you ever go yeah. for a pint in in no. like I, I would think like Sackville Lounge or somewhere like that that I I'd go to. But other than that, like uh, Shifty Dad makes a suggestion here. The one thing that could should change is it being on a bank holiday weekend. Good, good shout actually. Put the All Ireland final on. Bank yeah. Weekend. I think that's what Shifty Dad means here anyway. But yeah, because then I suppose I you are creating an idea of a festival and maybe, people yeah. have more time and they can definitely stay up. But yeah, you could definitely make more of an event out of it because it's such a huge deal. But it does feel like um, it only gets going like from a TV event anyway from about three o'clock on yeah. a Sunday. 
and she, you're going about your day beforehand and it's just like oh yeah the finals and I might watch that especially for if you have no yeah. yeah especially if you have no skin yeah. in the game but it, so it could be a good thing as for the homecoming last night look I saw we have a video there of um, Vera Pau and her staff being presented on stage and the the crowd cheering them and and Pau celebrates fairly wildly enough like dancing around the place and mm. the, I da- saw the dance of somebody who's leaving with a dance of relief, yeah, that she might it might be all over for her and then she can walk That's away. Or, or the dance of uh, a job well done in her part as well. She might think that. Definitely felt like she was she was going full bore by way of... I think she was... It, it was like, like a defiant I, dance. I think if, I think if she was staying on, you wouldn't be going that You wouldn't do that dance, it. like, because, I mean, there was no real reason to dance. Like, Ireland had, what, seven shots on target and three games or something. I mean, it wasn't like... you. I wouldn't... As a manager, I wouldn't be, like, very, very proud of, of Ireland's, you know... Um, offering over three games and I wouldn't be dancing in front of the fans because this is like it's a little bit of a gimmick this thing as well I think that there's so much support for this team um, you know especially among like young aspiring girls who want to play for Ireland I think this is massive for them and, and the results are a little bit incidental and like it was a great crowd to turn out but I think she wouldn't have done that I think she knows that this the end is probably nigh and uh, it was interesting to see the body language of the players behind her I think there was so it's it's interesting to look at their faces as as Vera was enjoying herself mm. because it, it was mixed to say the least. Yeah, here she is on screen now for people who can't see. So the other coaching staff are being applauded and they're reciprocating. And then Pau stands out a mile for dancing in the corner. But I was, I was like, first of all, fair play because mm. this is all supposed to be escapism anyway. This is the whole point mm. of it. So first of all, fair play. And then secondly, I'd love to know what's going through her mind at the moment because this whole fallout after Nigeria game with Katie McCabe. Like, I imagine that type of thing happens all the time where you're, the captain turns to the manager and said, get so-and-so off and bring that person no on. And then that. the manager's just like, shut up. But it seemed to be prolonged. Yeah, but the problem is that it went to the press conference afterwards. Yeah. Now, that was very pointed. And maybe she knows well that she's gone. Because why would you say that about your captain? Well, why would you make she, an example of her if you're going to stay she on? She has been very frank. It's one of the things we discussed does, during the tournament that maybe she just at times can, what we would perceive and maybe she doesn't at all, overstep the line in terms of her commitment around what she could say. You know, like we talked about the defensive thing and the, yeah. well, they're a little bit, the great players, but they're a little bit slow. There's no real need to say that. But she's seriously direct anyway, totally, but I don't remember her going to that length mm. where she's saying, Katie McCabe is not the manager. Katie McCabe let herself down here though. That's, yeah, and you, also, you have to, you have, you don't do it like in such an obvious way. If you have to, want to have a word with the manager, you don't, you're not the manager like. And yeah. I, I honestly think Katie McCabe completely let herself down there. That's not her job like. I remember. If you do it, do it in a subtle way. It's the culmination of a few years of frustration. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, she probably, again, it's probably coming to the end. Yeah, I remember one example of uh, Fernando Torres and his peak at Liverpool getting taken off away to Birmingham City when Rafa Benitez was in charge and Torres is walking off and you can see Steven Gerrard in the foreground and he's shaking his head at Benitez like what are you doing taking Torres off he's our best player that was the end of it this, this thing with this, these type of things happen all the time but there's clearly such a massive tension between the pair which we alluded to remember the uh, pre-tournament press conference in Dublin just before they flew out and you could call it a knife for the tension between the two of them like mm. sitting the distance between myself and Johnny here and it just felt there was a palpable sense of unease between the two of them and McCabe actually acknowledged that too, that sometimes they, they argue a lot. And this has gone to the other side now where McCabe's gone through the three games. She was like, basically, what was all? What was the point in all of this? Like, we didn't give it a go. There's um, mm. nothing more classy in sport than a manager who's been riled up by, clearly riled up by a player refusing to take debate. There's nothing more classy than the press conference afterwards where they go, Katie McCabe is a class act. What a player she's been for Ireland. Yeah. How could, how, you know, you, couldn't, you know, that sort of, you can, you can choose... 
your words. Mm. That um, and it feels that, like that's probably not her style, though. In fairness, like you said already yourself, like I don't think she can hold back. Like those, one of the, the probably the best things about Alex Ferguson's management was his ability to refrain from. Uh, calling his players out in public mm. most of the time mm. most of the time but mm. often he left it behind closed doors and then completely let himself down when he released his book right after retiring and in that press conference literally did a chapter on each player that caused him a problem and just called out all the players I, the more you know what I mean? the passage of time with Ferguson to be honest with you I, I was like this I, guy's ruthless like. well and also brutal and totally out of kilter with obviously what we think uh, the best practice around modern day leadership or management is yeah. I mean I know that obviously we're talking about somebody who was at their heyday a lot of years ago now but um, why isn't Vera Powell loved then by the squad in general like what is it why isn't she getting a Pat Tolan writes about it today it is a bit strange like what's the elephant in the room here like well I don't I don't know the answer to that question and obviously the FAI she's done a good job do you think let's put it another way her dancing last night when she came out would you say the dance is justified based on the performance throughout the World Cup as I said, I think the dance wouldn't happen if she was staying on. And like, look, I don't want to get too far down the road of somebody having a bit of a jig on the stage after, like, it's the homecoming is absolutely legitimate. The turnout is legitimate. Yeah. It's right that we acknowledge what's happened here, regardless of whether we've progressed or not. Like, the, the tournament in the round has been a raging success. Analyzing whether Vera Powell should have done a 10 second yeah, jig is probably see, doing it a bit of a disservice. Exactly. I think um, there's a lot of distraction around it, but if you look at it, Against the Olympic champions, they were 1-0 up. Against one of the better sides in the world, Australia, they lost by a penalty. Uh. And against Nigeria, they drew nil all. Uh. And this Nigeria side's good, like, they beat Australia. And it's first ever World Cup, and the teams come on leaps and bounds. Like, just a few years ago, that team was struggling. Mm. So, in many ways, Vera Powell has improved the team massively. But I suppose, th- yeah. then the next question is, well, we're not getting the best out of our two attacker, attacking players because Denise O'Sullivan didn't have a great tournament by her own yeah. standards. We're going to talk about Derry City and that, but it was just so weird watching an Irish team in Europe scoring three goals because the Shamrock Rovers have scored one in their last six now, I think. And we do have a problem across Irish football generally where we're just not very good at scoring goals at the moment. And uh, the women's team is a bit like that. So watching Derry was like, this shouldn't happen. You've scored three goals in totally, a game. Yeah. I'd be careful what you wish for, by the way, as well, because I had a look at last night at the... Um, Odds on who the next manager would be third in the list. Oh, I heard this. Go on, yeah. Phil Neville. That's right, yeah. Phil, be, was, just, Phil, just be, Phil just the Fourth in the list, Colin Bell. I'd be okay, just, yeah. I, I hang on, a whole fire there, caller, is who's what I said to you. Tom Elms, who's involved at the minute, yeah, and Eileen Gleason, who's involved before that. So, yeah. like, two good options for sure, and a bit of continuity there, but I just think beyond that, we want to be careful. One thing that we want to touch on, and Vinnie Perth is sitting outside, and he's, um, he's, he's itching to get into this conversation and to tell us to shut up so he can get his airtime. But one thing that I did want to touch on was a tweet that I put out last night that took the internet by, by storm. I want to touch on is a tweet um, I put Yeah. <laughs> what, what a quote. Th- thanks for. Uh, Thanks for explaining. Go on, as as Jared would say, thank you for explaining the joke. Um, I put up a tweet last night because I'd seen a clip of David Clifford doing what I felt, what caught me by surprise a little bit at the time as a, a, an outstanding bit of skill. It was a little sort of uh, right hand to, I think, was it left toe uh, solo? And it was the, the fact that the, yeah, right hand to left foot and the hand right on top of the foot. Do you know what I mean? Like normally you see you're dropping the ball from a couple of feet onto your foot and you're trying to get that bit of a spin and mm. you're sort of keeping motion. But it's felt like um, there's a uniquely Kerry style of football that I'd say Galway actually, to be fair, probably as close to it as it comes in terms of the other counties around the country. But it just struck me as a remarkable little bit of skill. I did feel I'd put it up and you get one or two little nibbles and that'd be about it, Johnny. But no, as I said, it has taken the internet by storm. And uh, 
that's a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's been a lot of interesting reaction to it. Um, Paddy Willis saying Tomas O'Shea was a legend at it. And uh, Shawnee Thornton jumping off the back of that saying left hand down to the right boot going full whack down the line. Poetry in motion. Uh, Spillane used to do it at full tilt, said Eric Phelan. Um, and then... Uh, and then there was like a lot of other reaction. Uh, D- <laughs> Dylan Gaynor saying, Clifford has invented a solo now, <laughs> FFS, which was not, of course, what has been said. Uh, Dermot uh, says, oh, yes, let's talk about it, FFS, as if it mattered. Um, That's actually a foul, says Fran Mallon. And there was a fair bit of that. Uh, Joel Sullivan, does his hand actually leave the ball? If hand is in full contact with the ball at all times, is it technically a solo or a foul? I mean, lads, come on now. But... Uh it did. It, Go on, oh, it just got us thinking about that little bit yeah. of underappreciated skill in yeah. sport. That's kind of what that really did. Mm. Yeah. I, I was thinking of a few examples there where you were yeah. going through that, but I don't know if it's so much a skill, but um, long foot passing in Gaelic football, I think, oh, is underrated. Yeah. Paul like, Galvin style, sort of. Galvin style. Jim uh, McConnelly as well, being able Paul to pick Conroy's out, being able to tick out a pl- uh, player with their foot and it's very yeah. direct passing. And also it's mm. the type of pass where it actually helps the momentum of the recipient. Mm. Um, I and think even, I see Conor McManus in yesterday. You know, he yeah. likes the mark and like... Yeah, yeah, likes the know, mark, the, hates the, foot, the, the condensing. Still beautiful, like. um, and also in soccer terms too, a skill I always appreciated, which was never able to master myself in games, was um, the ability when you're receiving a pass on its way to you to look behind your scanning. shoulders. Scanning. Now, I, I, I always uh, struggled with doing that and it's an f- unbelievable skill because it buys you so much time yeah. and the Class of 92 talk about it how um, the, it was drilled into them like if they mm. didn't look Skulls would have been a big scanner, a big one they? yeah if they, if they didn't look before they received the pass blow up in training yeah. and you'd be given right. a earful yeah because it's like it's no good receiving the ball with facing your own goal because you don't know what's behind you so uh-huh. you can't progress as a midfielder I like how your uh, criticism of your own performance is not actually football related it was like you know if I could just have been a bit of a better scanner. A bit of a better scanner. Oh, yeah. It's life, made it. it's life made skills, it. you know. It's life skills. But uh, <laughs> there's a load of um, load of little su- like subtle skills now that I love. But that tweet, I had, I had to watch that a few times to appreciate it. Tell you one thing you'll be scanning. Yeah, you should. Now. You should watch it. You should. Like, that's 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 the whole point. Like, it's, it's one of the... No, they've been scanning the lovely rooms in your new house in Whitehall. <laughs> You've moved. It's one of those little things that, that uh, nobody really yeah, talks about. Days. And by and large, you don't want to spend your entire life talking about uh, solo and football. But it's just a little thing mm. of beauty that I feel culturally no, I like that. is kind yeah. of unique to carry. A little bit of Galway seeping in. And I'm having it. What's an underrated skill in hurling? Oh, there's no, there, the one thing that is, that is that there's no underrated skill in hurling. Because like, you know, well, everything, if anyone is, everything is genius. Something. Sorry, James Boyle here says Henderson uh, never shouts a clap during a match to make a sub. Clap would rip into pieces. I remember Henderson being taken off at Old Trafford and laying into clap. Mm-hmm. That's and, a bit different though, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, it's the same thing where you're still chatting back to your manager. Why'd you take me off? <laughs> it's the same thing. Like, yeah. It happens all the time. It isn't a big deal. Yeah. It's the fallout really is kind of why this whole thing has fallen apart. I remember um, a, a player who shall remain nameless telling me one time that he was playing under Stephen Kenny. And he pointed out, he, he shouted over to Kenny and he's like, will you take such and such off? He's doing nothing, right, in the middle of the game. Mm. And Kenny's way of dealing with it was, he called said player into the dress room on the Monday and he goes, um, I just watched the game back there. You didn't do much yourself. Quite like that. And that was it. Yeah, that is good. And that was, that that, was, that's that was the end of matter. And yeah. one of the members involved now is actually now a manager and probably ah. learned from that experience. Well, I think there's... Yeah, look, I don't know. Somebody has pointed out three Dr. Phil's analysing the dance. 
So Sam McGowan, and there's a little bit of that about obviously our, our yeah. thoughts about what Katie, Katie McCabe is doing as well. But I do think that is Katie McCabe brought into the room at the FAR analysing the what, what did they call it? The full and yeah, full and comprehensive, comprehensive review. review. Like if, if she's not, it's pretty clear what her feelings are now. Mm. And there was probably a little bit of that going on as well. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I'd be interested to hear Vinny's thoughts. Oh, now yeah, on I, know, the old I knew chat. you were getting there, all yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Park it, <laughs> park it <laughs> and move That's, that's uh, Cullum's, uh, Cullum's way of parking and move on. Right. Thanks a million for coming in. Thanks it's for having a pleasure me. as always. The, yeah. the, the, you make it so easy. The pressure of the week hasn't shown on you an iota. It's a first world issue. I mean, no, not that. It's, it's moving house. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a good thing, like. Four minutes past eight. Uh, off the ball, by the way, coming to the Cork Podcast Festival. You can join us on Sunday, the 27th of August at the Cork Opera House. Special guest on the night, Jimmy Barry Murphy. More guests to be announced very soon. Don't miss out on a great night of conversation and crack in the heart of the Rebel County. You can head along to corkpodcastfestival.ie and uh, search for Off the Ball uh, for more details on that and pick up your tickets. Go on. I was just chatting with Chinese. All right. <laughs> you, you enjoy yourself there, lads. Back of the room there. Uh, Seven minutes past eight. You are welcome back. I'm Vinnie Perth. Welcome to the studio. Good morning to you. Morning. How are we doing? Did you ever have a player on the pitch give it the big one and uh, mm, sort don't. of try to force your hand about having to make a substitution or a decision? Or No, I don't think so. Not that I remember or experienced it. You know, players every so often lose the head or say something, but I think, yeah, and I don't remember anything as definite as, as what we've seen do today. How would you deal with it? Like, because Vera Powell, this is not an easy situation to be in. No, I think, I think to be fair, and, and where it wasn't helpful is, uh, um, look, um, I don't want to slag off a full nation, but Dutch people can be very blunt and they, they have a way of saying stuff. I was trying to explain this to someone today. I worked, I worked not that long ago for a company that was half owned by a Dutch company and when they leave the room they don't say can you turn off the light like an Irish person or they sort of it's I, I put it down to the way they've learned English they say turn off the light you know it's very blunt and it's just, I think it's how they've learned the language to be fair so um, maybe maybe you get the impression that Vera Pro isn't Vera Pro isn't a real warm coach you get that impression so that doesn't suit every player but I think and I, I don't like this saying football people, but I think a lot of football people seeing through what happened the other day as not good enough, not acceptable, and not something that you'd like to be part of as a as a coach or even as a teammate. So I didn't think it, it looked good at all. And for for Katie McCabe, I thought it was really poor. And um, totally I wouldn't agree. like to be. I wouldn't like to be in that situation. I think I think for someone who is who is a superstar and whatever, I think she let herself down. To, in that in that instance, and I think look, she's got credit in the bank. She's been brilliant for Ireland, but I don't think that was good. Do you ever have a player come to you in any of your guises, like during the week, to say, "Here, listen, what was going on there was not right. We should do it differently." Yeah, but that, that's, that's okay. Grand, like. Yeah, people question you, and like no one has the right answers. And and sometimes, you know, you might end up, you know, in a heat discussion with a player, but. I think all the good coaches reflect as well and they mightn't they mightn't say to the player, Oh, you were right what you said, but you reflect, you'll have a discussion with your staff and you know, that's that's fine. Same in sport, the same in business. You don't always um you don't always agree to everything, but at the same time, nothing wrong with different opinions, nothing no like players as well see stuff and they hear stuff and um but ultimately only one person or the staff are making the decision and they're the ones that are judged by it and I think I think going into the tournament uh, it's funny how my brain works going into the tournament I probably wasn't a big uh, Vera Pau fan um, because of the style of play to be honest with you it doesn't excite me too much 
but I've probably come away from it being a bit more of a fan because it's a bit like it's a bit like the Joe Smith era, like you know, all people have done for the last couple of years is sort of not all they've done, but there's been a little bit of criticism of Joe Smith. Revisionism. Yeah. What a legend that man was and what he done for Irish rugby should never be forgot but it's very easy now to kick people as they walk out the door and I get in that sense with, with Vera Pell and I just don't like it and I think it's okay probably part of modern society but that team getting there like, I mean she she spearheaded that group and I think that should not be forgotten like you know mm. let's see how the next few weeks play out um, Derry City through to the latest round we start there there's a few games to touch on uh, latest round of the Europa conference qualification 3-3 in Finland last night so they go through 5-4 in aggregate and uh, a major break in the next round with Tobol of Kazakhstan and the third qualifying round next week um, serious battle here they had to come from behind twice yeah I think I think what uh, I was chatting briefly to Rory last night um, he was literally sitting on the plane waiting to take off so it was nothing more than a brief chat just delighted for him personally I think it's been a really difficult time uh, for him personally I mean his family have gone through so much and uh, he's, he's he's had to deal with that and you still have to manage a team in the spotlight and while we, we sit here and we, we talk about teams and they should be close to the Rovers all that stuff you have to forget there's a human side or you do forget there's a human side to these people so that would have been um, it's very hard to explain what the feeling of winning in Europe is. It's just different. Um, it is your players. Your players obviously love it and all of that stuff. But you're you're operating at a, such a high level. The teams these these people are playing against. Um, and that sense for Rory last night would have been huge for him. But you've got to say he's had huge experience in around it. Done the dark set up mm. in terms of uh, getting prepared for Europe. He's he's done that role for uh, Stephen Kenny and he, um, in terms of an opposition analyst for us and then he became an assistant manager and, and now he's managed himself so it's a huge experience but also the experience on the pitch and the bravery and I, the first text I sent him was hey they score four don't worry about it we score five and we've always had that type of joke in around Dundalk and around the staff where how do you win games? You've got to be brave and go for it. And I think it's a lesson for some other teams, you know, in in my view. So uh, it doesn't surprise me. You look at the winning goal came from Michael Duffy. I think it was his 36 European game. Um, that's huge. That's, that's huge. At that level, that experience, incredible. Do you know as well, Vinny, like, they, Derry lost Patrick McLenny in the first half. They then lost Cameron Dumigan. Like, possibly two of their most important three players, really, right? And I was just thinking, like, his recruitment has been really good. Like, so you bring on O'Reilly and Diallo, and sort of. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to dish Shamrock Rovers here. Shamrock Rovers squad hasn't been good enough at all in Europe this year. Whereas, in fairness to Derry, they've. I don't know what the the, the contrast in terms of resources and wages is, but Derry have been able to showcase. Like Kavanagh scoring the goal last night. He was another kind of a bit part player who scored the first goal, and their their peripheral players have had a massive role in this. And I, I was just I was really really delighted for as you say for Rory, but I think he's he's signed very well. Even the the guy that got him from Scotland, McMullen as well. Yeah, you know, excellent for the first goal, and he just seems to have a good eye for a player, which I guess you saw when you were with him as well. Yeah, he does. He's always had that. That's that's his, his sort of. It's not. I don't. I don't, I don't like saying it's his biggest strength because then you're you're trying to undervalue, say, his management style, all that stuff. But he's got a great strength of having an eye for a player and. Um, absolutely, but I, th- I think the key for me in terms of, and I've sort of alluded already, was look, okay, I know he lost Patrick in that, 
look at the starting lineup. It was attack minded. Mm. They didn't go out and try mm. and hold something. Van Doherty, a fullback, is is essentially a winger, and he's playing him a fullback. You've patching McElhenney, Duffy, and Cabinet in your team. Like it's so attack minded, where it's going away from the sort of let's sit back and maybe There's all that no stuff. No park in the bus whatsoever at any point. And and you listen, you can get done. I mean, I remember we we were attack minded out in Larnaca and lost four 0 I think, or maybe even more. Um, we went chasing a game against Calgary, um a game we should have won, a European game. And we got done. You end up three 0 and you look like you look like a clown. Um, so it can go for you and against. That you. doesn't just, feel like what happened to Rovers, is it? Like no, that, no, it was different. It was different, and that's where maybe that's a lesson and. Far be it for me to preach to, to, to people like Stephen Bradley who's done an unbelievable job. Essentially, they should go on to win four leagues in a row. What an amazing achievement. But that attack-minded, that bravery, and it's like it's like I say about the train only passes, when, when it comes to, say, Europe, only passes once a season. And if you don't jump on it and you don't ride that wave, it's gone for another year and it might never come back again for players. And that's what we always had, had that message. And... I was disappointed for Dundalk on out. I thought they had actually, in many ways, the best chance. And you get that sense, even the older Dundalk players that are still around that team, um, they've done quite well to get to where they were. But this was it was a 50-50 game. I felt that you've got to seize the moment. I think that's what some people, and I think Rory's really good at that, from, from again, his Dundalk experience, some of the Dundalk players. And I think Rovers will... That will that should really hurt them. I think they've missed a huge opportunity there, and the the champions of Ireland should, unless it's a bit of bad luck in the playoff, should get group stages. And I've been saying for a long time we're getting closer to a second team in the group stage. And you look at Derry, they've got obviously a huge game against side from Kazakhstan, but we should be getting at least one team, particularly the champions, because UEFA have protected the champions. Mm. So winning your first round means you've a playoff or group stages. It's it's that's going to hurt them, and particularly and I, with the conference league as well. It's well, it's paid, isn't it, for Irish well, teams to well, press? Well, to be fair, UEFA and um, and I get a lot of criticism. They've protected the champions, so the champions' route is protected, and that's where just winning the first game. Rovers went into that seceded side, and losing that is. It's it's not good enough uh, from a European perspective. We I have get- to have some, I think, as well. We have to have some re- reflection on that. Two Icelandic teams fairly comfortably beat two Irish teams in the end. And like, where are we going if Iceland, with all due respect to Iceland, but the population is still ahead of us in terms of this summer? And we need to look at facilities in that, and we need to look at our development of the game. I think anyway, like the Rovers against an Icelandic team that were third in Iceland were 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 inferior. They really were inferior over the two legs. Which isn't to say that. Icelandic domestic football is better than Irish domestic football. Well, as of this summer, it's it's um, the two teams were definitely they they got through anyway, and Breidablik were better than Shamrock Rovers. They actually were. Um, yeah, they were, and they were they went out to Copenhagen, I think, this week, and they mm. were fairly well beaten as well. I think. Look, you can have you can have bad moments. I think I think Europe came at a wrong time for Rovers. They've lost a form, uh, a couple One of key injuries. Yeah, mm. so I don't think it's helped. I've always said. I'd love to see this Rovers team with a bit more pace and and the thing about winning games in Europe at the highest level and going into group stages is you might only get one or two opportunities and sometimes it's the hardest thing for Irish clubs in Europe once you go up the next level is it's like you feel like you're in most games but it's just one little moment where you switch off for a quick second or you're a little bit tired and some player a right winger comes out of nowhere and just gets in behind you wins the game and that's where 
Rovers probably need a little bit more spark I would say in the forward area I've been saying that all season I don't think they're clinical enough is the word I use I don't know whether that's, that's the right even domestically um, they score more goals than everyone else this year but domestically they could do with adding a little bit more we were right. having a bit of chat just as he was coming on because I think Vinny predicts Rovers to win the league by 10 points which he wouldn't be alone no there's still 4 points ahead but at the moment they're 100% they're inferior to Derry City they're probably inferior to Pats right now this Rovers form is, is, is a slump it's a real one goal in 7 but now they can concentrate wholly on the league will Jack Byrne be back soon when will Ferruja be back um, mm. but the title race is 100% on because this Shamrock Rovers team you've nothing to fear for them at the moment you really don't you touched on something just a bit earlier Vinny that I wanted to pick up on because Dan was talking about on the show yesterday morning about the how Derry from a style point of view are set up much better to progress in Europe than a Rovers let's say or most other Irish teams in terms of the formation the wide players the little bit of ambition they show uh, this might be a very naive question but if that is the case and given the pots of money that are available in Europe and given some of the things that you've mentioned in terms of at times, Shamrock Rovers maybe approach to Europe, even when they, you mentioned the train analogy, even when they've had the ticket for the train, at times they've sort of not shown the ambition to go and, and eke something out of it. Um, but if those pots of gold are available, why aren't more of the top teams in the league setting up uh, in a way like Derry to progress in Europe and avail of that money? Yeah, I, I think we've got to be careful. Like Johnny made the point there that Derry are, are better than... or. You've got to be careful. Snapshot in time over a season, yeah, okay? Yeah. Derry have Derry aren't ready to win a league title yet. I feel part of that is down to a lot of the injuries they've had, obviously. And I think it will take time for that that squad to be built from where they're coming from. I think Rory's on the right path to do that, right? So I I still think Rovers are in a really strong position of power, and that's why they've got to now fix their squad. If, if but ultimately that's for them to see. I presume the staff can see what the problem is. So. Well, this is a big debate that we've had in and around the Irish international team. Is a perfect example of it. The, um, and, and around Shamrock Rovers, it's about styles. It doesn't. You, I always compare, and I've done it many times. And this is a good time to bring it back up. I compare the Dundalk team that I was I was it with for eight nine years to Liverpool and their style of play. Not not direct re- replicate, but Dane Massey. Uh, getting forward cross and over hit cross Sean Gallon scores a back post mm. Trent and um, uh, Robinson okay good example where this Rovers team are very much like say a Man City not easy not necessarily that they're not easy on the eye but it's it's build up build up pass 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 and that's okay and that that is good enough and you've got the players to win the league the problem is when you go to Europe playing that way or you're Ireland going to Europe uh, playing with a back three it's a little bit slow it's a little bit like you're waiting on something to switch off and when you go up levels people don't switch off as much so that that's the best way I can explain the sort of two different systems I'm a believer in as I said about Rory I'm a believer in going score I remember uh, one of my first games in charge and, and John Gill was with me and it was the first time with the group and he said we were we were 1-0 up with two minutes to go oh keep one to send a half back and no we'll get to second mm. right now it was a corner and he was right and that's the old and, it, and I remember he, him, him saying it to me only recently learned a huge amount of that attacking play and by the way, I learned that off Stephen Kenny, but say, no, get the second, we'll win the game. And instead of that sort of... I'm not saying Rovers have a defensive mindset. I'm just saying attacking play for me and bravery is something that's getting lost in the game a little bit. 
all through the levels. It's gone a little bit too slow, a little bit too passive, even domestically in our league. Some of the games are great. It's brilliant to watch. But you look at, say, a team like Bowles. I'd rather watch a team like Bowles all day long than some other teams. You look at Sligo, third last, second last, being struggling. But they're probably making more passes outside of Shamrock Rovers than anyone else. So our game has gone passive a little bit, I think, across the world. And I think the teams that play with speed and power, in my view, you've you've a better chance. As much as Man City are there, I'd love I'd love twenty of the best players in the world and play Man City's way and do what Pep does. But if you're not gonna have twenty of the best players in the world, I believe the better way is go out and score more than the opposition. And, and in fairness to Derry, like because the, the Vinny alludes to this, in the first leg, McGonigal started, but they had Brandon Kavanagh, Patching, McElhenney, Duffy, McGonigal, like a really attacking team. Ryan Maher has done really poorly for one of the goals. They've coughed up three goals. Higgins will not be happy with that. And they've still managed to find a way by playing effectively attacking football. And they, they, if you watched that game yesterday, it was playing in Finland, but it was really, really 50-50 type game that was swinging either way. And I, I like their composure as well, Vinny, for, you know, Rory's not on the job that long, but like, the, that experience, like Duffy to get that goal, um, you know, I I think that they, they they never gave the impression that they didn't believe they could do it. No, and, no. and their and and th- their squad depth got them through this. Shamrock Rovers definitely failed them this year. They were just let down and they had no pace for key games, goalkeeping issues. Um, so Stephen Bradley has a lot to reflect on at the moment. But ironically now, or and Alanis Morris said irony maybe, Shamrock Rovers now can just focus on the league. Derry could be playing four more games in Europe. They have a very good chance, 50-50 maybe chance of getting through the next round. Well, look, this, take. The, the problem you have is, and just, just to sort of briefly go over, like particularly the good thing for Derry is, and, and in terms of even compared to, say, the results and the style of play to bring people on the journey so yeah. the Irish, Irish ladies team have brought a certain amount of people on the journey I feel that a attack minded coach would actually bring more now okay and that doesn't mean I think Vera Powell should lose a job I'm just saying you've got to take people on the journey okay and I think that result yesterday will the, the amount of people around Derry now that will stand up and their attendance is a huge anyway but they really that will capture the man, imagination okay but the other side of it is they're playing a team from Kazakhstan. So the easiest thing to, for the general public, Kazakhstan, sure. You know, you, they're probably, the first thought of Kazakhstan is probably Borat. You know? is, yeah. So, but they've knocked out uh, FC made- Basel. So it's yeah. not like, the people are just, it's like there's a side in the Faroe Islands now just qualified for a group stage. World football, European football is changing. The champions of Hungary, champions of um, Romania, all these sides are just now Every every nation is doing what we're doing. UEFA have improved, improved the coach education of teams and world football is improving uh, underneath the elite level where everyone is sort of grouped in around the same way. So yeah. it's really difficult to, to progress in Europe. At the same time, it's uh, I'm sure if you, when you were talking to Rory last night, uh, you'd rather be playing them than Basel. Uh, the mid-table, aren't they, in Kazakhstan? Yeah, the, the only challenge with going back to, to Kazakhstan is it's going to be a huge flight. Like yeah. It's going to be really, really difficult. And once you get to certain rounds, UEFA will expect you to charter a flight um, mm. and not expect you. That's part of the rules within... I don't think it's for the... Uh, maybe the next round. Uh, so the expense is, is huge and different mm. things. There is a certain allowance for... We've to travel over a certain time. So it starts getting really expensive and it will affect their league position. Um, there's no doubt about it because you're travelling for hours. So, in many ways, Basel is easier because it's it's a, a couple of hour flight. You'll know all about them, so it's harder to do your homework. But 
modern scout now. They'd be okay. What about the um? Just say the Ireland job, right? The Vera Pouse have come back to it. If you, if just say Vinnie Park, if there was an interview to that job and you went in, and you, what, what would you, how would you approach it in the sense of, this is women's football, right? Is there a difference in your head if you applied for a job, a different job, say in the League of Ireland or even an international job at underage level? Is there a difference in your head of how I approach myself in this interview here? Does that make sense? Because it's, it's slightly different. Yeah, I've only really done one interview since I've came out of football, mm. as much as. I got interviewed here a couple of weeks ago for the Cork job with the lads, uh, and I never. <laughs> I was <laughs> Liam Buckley, but not yeah, I never, I never applied for the job, so I've only ever done done one interview uh, since I've come out of football. Um, I suppose, look, it's difficult to answer that, but um, I, look, women's football. I like, for example, I wouldn't apply for that job because I've no, exp- like, I couldn't do. It's, it's. I'm not saying it's a different game, but it's slightly. You need a certain skill set to coach in the women's game, and you've got to understand it. So, but I think I think you've got to sell yourself and the dream. And like I'm a tack minded coach, so if I went to meet someone, I'd be I'd be playing on the point of. You know, the odd time we might lose a game, we might lose two nil, three nil. I might get done the odd time, but I, I I'm a dreamer, and I think I think there's nothing wrong with that in terms of. I think. Any Irish side should be thinking about group stage European football. Now, there is a mindset go, oh, just win the league every year. That's grand. I don't believe in that. I think you should be aiming for group stage football. Um, that's if, why if I made Rovers it. win the league then this year, is that a successful season for them? Well, well, it is. And it is. And I think, I think within that club, I think that's really good and, and continue to build and build and build. You're allowed, you're allowed an off year. Remember, mm. like... You know, people look back with rose tinted glasses of airtime at Dundalk, but in seven day in Cork, hammered us mm, out of the park. Mm. But people f- sort of forget that, and we got beaten in that year four or five nil in Europe. So look, you've got to sell, you've got to dream, you've got to believe, and in in, in in sort of, I would I would probably I would probably only go back to a club I think that I felt could would want to play European football. Right. Does Stephen Bradley prioritise the League of Ireland over Europe? I would say I would say no. Uh, it probably doesn't look that way because of how when you got to the group stage last year, you probably felt you need to secure the league again. I understand that mindset. Um, I work for a club who people thought people thought our American owners just wanted the money of Europe. They didn't. They've that much money. It wasn't about that, but they wanted to push the club as a European club, and they felt that was more important than domestically because mm. you could fix the domestic stuff a lot easier. Where I get the sense Rovers feel just qualify for Europe and we'll fix it next year or by winning the league, the Champions route, and we'll fix it next year. So, no, I'd say I, 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 I'm trying to think of the right word here. I'd say his own, not his own ego, because that's the. I'd say he wants to be and his players want to be successful in Europe. It's he's a, he's a football and coach as well, Bradley. Like, and I know from speaking down the years, like he felt two years ago in general, he felt Rovers hadn't achieved in Europe. Last year when they got to the group stages, he made, in hindsight, a pragmatic call. Our squad depth is such here that we need to win the league and realistically in Europe we'll do extremely well to get out of the group so we'll, we'll prioritise the league. That was fine, but this year was a rep- 
was a retrograde step because they, they had no young players coming through basically playing in Europe uh, of any consequence. Their squad was, was either too old or too slow um, to compensate for players that couldn't play like Ferrugia and Clark. And they, they took a major step backwards. They scored one goal in Europe this season. That was a VAR given penalty. Yeah. Um, and as much as French Varos are very, like, you don't expect them to beat French Varos. They shouldn't be in this situation. So they've got a situation where they've taken a step back and now they are in a battle in the league. They really are in a battle in the league. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. But I think the four in a row is obviously something um, you know that to motivate them now. But this is a, this is a challenging time. This is the most challenging time for Bradzer as a coach since um, Gavin Bazuna came in into goal. Because Rovers, once Gavin Bazuna went into goal, Rovers had serious goalkeeping issues, right? Gavin Bazuna came in and then Rovers progressed and then started winning leagues. They've, this is the first time since really that he's been under proper... Um, I suppose internal scrutiny over where the squad has has gone because they're they're not playing well at all at the moment. Like Vinny was at the game last night, so I can't talk about that. But the the the, the kind of life has gone out of them a little bit at the moment, and they can't score either. Yeah, it's 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 a challenge for him. But what I will say is there has to be enough credit in the bank to give him time to do that. Oh, one hundred percent. He's done a remarkable job uh, for, for young coaching. He's in a really strong position and. Um, like all the all the greats, whether it's League of Ireland terms, Kenny, whether it's Fenlon, whether it's going over to the UK, whether it's Wenger or Ferguson, have all had down years where mm. things and you've had to rebuild and set a squad up. It's just about it's just about what what they see internally, uh, Stephen and his staff to say. Do they see the same problems? Do they think it's just down to injuries of say Jack Bourne and Ferrugia? And, mm. and we're going to find out. But it's fascinating. There's only like. League of Ireland is, is so competitive now I think the top four is only five points between them at the moment so we have a title race I still stick by ten points because now coming out of Europe means um, but we're in a mad situation where someone like Pats were that poor in form that the co- coach lost, lost their job if they win tonight against Sligo they're only a point behind Shamrock Rovers mm. it's bizarre um, you're able to lo- lose a lot of games in this league at the moment and still progress so it's really exciting times. Um, as I said, it's great that one of the clubs is, is, is bashing away in Europe. Now that the GEA heads have gone away for a while, we can grab some of the headlines and say, hey, we're here. Well, very briefly as well, I, like as much as I want Irish teams to win in Europe, Rovers getting another three million or whatever it is this year wouldn't necessarily be great for the overall balance of power in the league. So Rovers losing out on that money and Derry making money and Derry and Pats being quite close to Rovers in the league at the moment is probably better for the overall picture. We don't want Rovers running away with it every year. Yeah, and Bowes hanging in there as well, obviously, yeah. uh, uh, with Drada tonight. Uh, just a quick word on Dundalk before we leave you, Vinny. Obviously, it, um, too much to do last night. Uh, we mentioned their their opponents. There were 3-1 down going in, 2-2 on the night, and that's it. They're out. Uh, Daryl Horgan was the thing I wanted to ask you about. Paraded before the... the uh, crowd last night really warm reception for him and I wondered about what sort of version of coming home to Dock we're saying as well he's from Galway <laughs> <laughs> like, no. he's literally ah, from Galway he's from Galway he's from a Galway family coming home he's going to Dundalk 30 year old Daryl Horgan coming back having done a bit of a trip around what sort of a version are they getting back oh look um, who knows but I tell you what like first of all his wife's from Dundalk his kids would would always do the summer camps in Dundalk and different things like that so he is coming home <laughs> despite what the Galway man says uh, I thought there was an outside chance if Galway had been in the Premier Division you wonder whether the Comer brothers might have went after Rory Galway. Gaffney Patrick Hoogan bring them home but look um, uh, again I spoke to, I spoke to Daryl yesterday and uh, I said you know you know what like I'll tell you what they're getting they're getting it's, they're getting that Cluxton type character back into the dressing right. room okay Um 
Daryl used to keep me out for hours back back when you know the strength and conditioning coach didn't worry about people's loads, and he he because he played off the left. I'd stand at the corner of the box. He'd roll the ball into me and bend on top corner. And like, I mean, he would, if it was snowing, he wouldn't stop until he, and then when he put one in top corner, he'd go, yeah, yeah, I want to do it twice. You know, it's just him. He's just a perfectionist. That's the family as well, I think, Vinny. Yeah. yeah they're a brilliant yeah. family. Like, and, yeah. and I think we've got, Duffy is, his, Duffy is one of my favourite players, right, ever to coach. Daryl Horgan's one of my favourite players. Uh both same position, both have that same thing. We've got some real stars in the league. People will be excited to see. I hope I hope Horgs goes back because he's played in different positions and he's signed for clubs who play different shapes. Goes back and plays in that left wing position. And tell you what, when Derry played on dock, you're looking at two absolute legends of left wingers. And if you um, haven't seen the Duffy goal yesterday, have a look at it. Like that, the quality of the header, and you're right behind it with the video. And it's like for Michael Duffy, who's had lots of injuries, I thought that was just a beautiful moment. And him and Horgan, proper talents. So we've got we've got another another star back in the league, someone who compete with Forrester Tell, uh, Jack Bourne, Michael Duffy, Patrick McElhenney, and the more than we get, enemies, yeah, mm. yeah. And as I said, he's that Cluxton type figure who's going to come in and and set the standards in training. And O'Donnell will be absolutely buzzing another Galway man to have uh, Daryl back in there. So exciting times for Dundalk. They're probably a little bit short from from a squad squad point of view, but signing Daryl will will certainly help them. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Vinny, thanks, Millie, for coming in. Thank you. Fair play, as always. Uh, loads still to come. We'll talk to uh, James Tracy in just a little bit about the Ireland Italy game this weekend and what it means for the um, team that are tested, I suppose that's the way to put it, for uh, for that. Maeve DeBarca was down at the Ireland homecoming last night, so we'll extend out our conversation around uh, the Republic of Ireland women's national team uh, with Maeve as well in just a little bit. Loads of comments coming into us on all kinds of manners of things, so do keep those coming in. It's uh, 8.35, it's Friday morning, you're watching OTBAM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball, and uh, as I said, loads still to come. But right now it is time to uh, turn our attention to the Camogie final this weekend. We did the Cork preview yesterday with Sarah Donovan on the line, so to give us the Waterford side of things, delighted to say we're joined now by Noel Connors. Morning, Noel. How's it going, gents? How are you? How are you keeping? Pretty good, gee. How are the nerves? Uh, yeah, I think quite optimistic. Um, it's been a long time since Waterford Camogie were in the All-Ireland, so it's uh, something to certainly look forward to. What is it, 78 years? So it's something something that we're probably not used to, but something that we're definitely looking forward to. We chatted a good bit on the show last week about the buzz ahead of the fun, uh, the football final and uh, the jury was kind of out as to how engaged both counties were uh, in the lead-in at least. What's the buzz been like down there? It's been amazing, to be fair. Um, I suppose our, our hurlers and our footballers haven't done particularly well over the last kind of 12 months so everyone has really rode in behind the Camogie team they've been fantastic over the last number of years not just to say it's this year but over the last number of years and uh, showing their support I suppose uh, a fair reflection that was in the semi-final now I know it was only in Nolan Park up the road but I think everybody that was at the match mentioned the Waterford fans and how engaged they were and how they didn't stop chanting so uh, I think that's probably a reflection of where Waterford's support is in terms of the Camogie team what can it do as well? Like if you look at like the mead ladies footballers in terms of uh, being a bit starved on the men's side, what can it do for the, the not the brand like, but what can it do for Waterford hurling generally to get people, um, I suppose, so emotionally involved again? Like I, I, the, the last, I think the last time I saw you playing was in 2017 in the final. Unbelievable passion that day. Like, um, what can it do? I suppose for the county generally, Noel. <laughs> it is a in twenty seventeen that that's kind of like an early dig at is it? Uh, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> it's, like, 
to the chest. No, it was, it, was a, it was an absolute compliment, actually. And you were one of my uh, favourite oh, horrors, if not sportsmen yeah. ever, you know. That's what I was telling Ali Canning at the race the other day, actually. Anyway. <laughs> but to be fair, I, I do think, like, in fairness, Waterford as a, as a county, by and large, is, is, is very much rowing behind everything that's GA. Mm. We're very fortunate in many ways that we're, we're on the sea as well, and there's plenty of other sports, golf and basketball, etc., are very prominent here in rugby. Um, but GA is, without doubt, number one. So, I do think that if if you see success, then it breeds success. So not just necessarily if the if the girls are going well, it has it certainly has an impact on on the lads as well. And I think that's really really important. Um, as you mentioned there, you see the the significance of a mead ladies footballers and what that's done to the county. So I do think that good showing and even like a lot of the a lot of the say the lads rather like Boston Brick were at the match in Nolan Park as mm-hmm. well last. So that kind of is a uh, kind of testament to what has been done as well at underage structures in award for Camogie. It is inspirational as well, isn't it? Like if you look like I, I can really, really um, attest to the, the young girls who want to play soccer now, like uh, in Ireland. And like for a young girl who may or may not want to play Camogie, like if she sees this game, um, you know, Noel, on, on, on Sunday, it's like this could change her life. Absolutely. And like we've been very fortunate that we have the likes of Bell Carton that has probably been a star when we haven't been doing, haven't done particularly well over the last number of years. And it's amazing to see someone like her that has been so ingrained in in Waterford GA, not just within the Camogie side, but also within the men's side. Like I remember being up at the the the, the conference every January when I was young and I was doing research and I see young Beck Carton walking in with her father. And obviously our father is heavily involved in the GA here. I think he's the, the manager for Munster and, and trying to promote games in Munster Hurling. But I remember seeing her at a very young age and just being in awe of someone that was so young, but like so willing, I suppose, to spend time in Crow Park when you're probably surrounded by the vast majority were males that were probably in their, their mid to late 60s. So that kind of gives you a snapshot of what, what she's all about. So it's it's been amazing to see the likes of herself um, being really the person that a lot of GA people in Watford look up to, not just females, but males, because she's been so talented, but also so committed. And it shows that if you're committed, what it can actually bring. I don't believe that the um, optics are ever enough with these things to, I don't fully subscribe, subscribe to your theory, I think that like the fallout of London 2012 there was supposed to be this great legacy absolute nonsense never happened uh, I think the optics of stuff I think like the uh, women's team of the World Cup is a great launch pad but like all those from the people who were down there last night the reports of all the girls that were at, young girls that were at it that's brilliant but if there is no uh, foundation stones in place yeah. in the places that they come from that's dead next week. There's no way to harness that. And so on that note, Noel, and I know you've done a little bit of work with the development squads down there over the last number of years, like the Waterford's ability to sustain that stuff that you're talking about and to live with the Cork, uh, Galway, Kilkenny of this world over the next number of years, is this, um, I'm not saying one and done because they've been there thereabouts over the last few years, but are the foundations there for this to be a long-term thing with Waterford? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I saw in the column about this yesterday. Uh, it's probably been 10, 12 years where I was asked to get involved and go in and do training sessions with, with underage structures within the camogie scene. And at the time, naively, you don't necessarily think too much about it. But when you kind of reflect on it and when you're out of it yourself, you think about how amazing it is and the amount of work that's done, the likes of Eda Murphy, Sheila O'Donoghue, Joey Carton himself, the amount of work that they put in to actually kind of set a bar. Like even, I think it was last year, maybe the year before last, I was out with... Uh, the under 14 team out in Carriganore in, in the arena. Uh, and, uh, I think they had 120, maybe 130 girls out there at a camogie session. 
So what they're trying to do is place as much emphasis on trying to engage as many, I suppose, girls, but also clubs. At the moment, I think there's like 19 clubs, small clubs within Warford, and, and they're really trying to grow that. So what they're doing is they're being very smart and strategic about how they go about that and trying to build a good base and hoping that they can actually bring as many of these young girls, you know, to a level where you can compete against, you know, the Corks, the Galways, the Kennys of today. And I think that's really, really important because it's just there. It's it's fine getting to a final once in 78 years, but the reality is what you need sustainability. And it's something that certainly we're struggling with on the, on the men's side is, is sustainability. Mm-hmm. Um but they seem to have done their work. They have a really good structure, but more importantly, they have really good people there to support that structure. Uh, and we're really starting to see the benefit of that. And I'm sure that uh, the, the pressure of all that stuff that we're talking about will hopefully be lost on the on the players for the week that's in. They can think about that again down the track uh, if they manage to get over the line. I, there was a couple of comments from um, Waterford's Keeley uh, Corbett Barry during the week saying that they've come on a lot since they lost to Cork in the semis last year. And then I read Eva Murray as well saying that she thought that that Waterford team were calm and mature almost sort of beyond uh, beyond their years and the way they came back against Tipperary. There's always that cliche and all about like, you know, you have to get to it. You lose a final to win one. But like they've they've been so close over the last few years, it feels like even though they are underdogs, it is there for them to grasp it. Absolutely, and like you know, you often and it and that frustrates me, but it kind of gets me thinking. You know, when people kind of suggest like that, oh, there's, there's nothing to lose, but the reality is, there's everything to lose. Mm. You know, when you're in an all Ireland final, you want to win. When you're in semi finals, you want to win. From watching last year's match, I think that Cork only went ahead in the last year's semi-final with like four minutes to go where Watford led the whole game and obviously it was the substitutions of like Fashion Thompson etc that made that change but in the end of it I think it was like 10 points to, to 15 so it was a 10 point swing but ironically enough things weren't going particularly well this year in the semi-final against Tipperary uh, particularly like in the first half they really really struggled at times and it was down to the Tipperary pressure their physicality etc but in fairness to them, you know, they held their cool, which was very mature for a re- very kind of young team when you broadly look at the, the profile of the of the squad. They were very mature. They got the goal when they needed, but in the second half, they showed an incredible uh, amount of resilience, but also maturity to be able to stick to their game plan. And when things weren't going particularly well for some players, even the likes of seeing Orla Hickey going from midfield back to full back at times, it goes to show like that these players are very well trained or managed. You see Sean Power is a very good backroom team in place. And that's what you're going to need to have if you want to win the All-Ireland. Because, look, we're not kind of trying to call anyone here. That car team, I think Sarah was on with you during the week, said, have probably underperformed since 2018. Um, but they're an incredible squad. They've three All-Stars on, on the bench that they can spring at any time. Um, so, Warford are probably under no illusions that it's going to be an incredibly tough battle. But I'm sure it's one they're going to grasp and, and definitely do themselves just as, as much as they can what's the morale generally Noel in, ter- in Camogie in terms of I suppose it doesn't feel as if Camogie has been quite on the same sort of upward trajectory in terms of the um, publicity as ladies football what do you make of it yeah I suppose look there's probably not as many teams competing mm. uh, that's probably because of the dominance of the likes of Cork or Dublin or Kilkenny or Wexford. Like I was looking at the, the list of honours, like Warford have never won the All-Ireland. Like Cork have won 28, Dublin have won what, 24, Kilkenny 15, etc. And we look down through, Galway have only won four. So even though we talk about Galway being one of the top three teams or maybe two teams uh, in Camogie at the moment, they've only won four All-Ireland. It's quite similar to senior actually for senior men's. 
Yeah, and, and like when you when you look at when you look at things like that, you're kind of saying to yourself, you know, that's a bit of a challenge to try and get as many teams engaged and trying to win uh Camogie. Whereas the ladies' football seems to be there's there's probably like four or five, maybe even six teams at a very similar standard. Uh, that can win the All Ireland, and that certainly entices more teams to engage in that as well. But from your perspective, just very briefly, like what what can the GA do generally to get hurling and camogie? Like hurling is the most underplayed sport in the world, really. Like it's a disgrace that hurling is 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 almost an irrelevance in in three quarters of the counties in the in the country, considering it's it's probably the best field sport in the world. So what can like I remember as a kid. You know, I was from Northeast Galway, which would be a football area, really. But guys used to come to the school, and we'd we'd play, we'd practice our hurling skills at a very early age, and it definitely helped. What can the GA do? I don't think there's a a simple solution. Um, and ironically enough, I always go back when someone says this to me. I always go back. I remember reading uh, Michael Minan's book, GA Economics, I think it's called. And at the time, uh, I thought it was kind of a strange comment. But Sean Kelly, who is now MEP. He was the former president of the GA. He mentioned that like intercounty teams can't do both. And at the time, I was kind of saying, surely like the likes of your Galways, your Dublins, your Corks, like that have massive, you know, clubs, uh, participation levels, funding, etc., can surely compete at both. But when you actually drill down into it, they can't. And that's probably the struggle is I don't think you can actually compete well at both. If you have like Dublin, Dublin's population must be a million. Is it approximately a million? Maybe a well over. More? probably give or take. Uh, I was talking to someone, I was actually at the football final last week and I was talking to someone, I won't mention names, and his little girl is playing in the FINA and in the academy, they had 760 kids. So I'm thinking to myself, they have 760 kids. If they can't compete at boats, it's going to be very challenging for others to compete at boats. So what I would say is, I'd say inter-county county boards realize that, that they can't do both so they'll probably stick with what their uses of the status quo was probably football because that's what most have probably played traditionally so it's going to be a very difficult one to try and coax teams that will be traditionally Gaelic football out of Gaelic football and into Ireland and that's again a generational thing where it's not going to be like a, a two or three year you know plan where you're going to see you know somebody compete against the likes of your Limerick, your Corks, your Waterford, etc it's going to be a longer you know battle to try and get people to that where you're going to go Ricky Rackard etc all the way up to try and yeah. do that I know Liam Griffin had, uh, we spoke to him a few months ago, uh, God, it could even be the back end of last year, but some pretty interesting proposals to address, to address that exact issue, to like um, call clubs out about having a, a specific commitment to playing both sports up to a certain level. I, I, just in relation to this game particularly, um, I was interested to see, like uh, we were talking about sort of Waterford obviously being underdogs there, and the hunger came up and the uh, core captain was asked about that and she was equating the fact that um, Waterford have never won the title with Cork's drought of the last five years, which I think is a uniquely Cork outlook. Yeah, and you know what? I think that Sarah mentioned that I think she was on the show on Wednesday, but she mentioned that this team since 2018 have underperformed, and they probably have. When you look at the calibre of players they have, bear in mind in the last two years, they lost last year's final by, what was it, a pint, and the previous by three points. So it's not as if they've been too far away. But from, a, from I suppose, a traditionalist point of view, like Cork have always been there, thereabouts. Obviously, that's reflective in having won whatever 28 titles. So, you know, that's probably like the Dublin footballers where they're saying for the last three years they haven't won it. So for Dublin, it's it, for for Cork and it's probably been a long period of time. Mm. So I can completely understand that from the Cork perspective. But from a Waterford perspective, 
uh, wouldn't it be amazing, I suppose, what they're thinking to be the, the first winners of an Ireland title? And bearing in mind also, like, if you look at it from, I suppose, you've drilled down deeper, like, Isle Tier have been very successful. Like, they won, obviously, the All-Ireland Club. I, I know it's at intermediate level. Uh, three years ago, they were they won the Munster, obviously, that same year. They won the Munster the year after. They got better in the semi-final after the Offaly crowd that bet them in uh, the other, that they bet in the All-Ireland previous to that. And De La Salle won their first uh, county title last year and done really well in Munster. So I do think that that's something that's really important as well, that you're starting to see a big level of commitment, but also outside where that also gives Warford a bit of impetus to say, you know, we are actually competing at a really good level here. So even though that Carl feel like they've been starved since 2018, I think that Warford feel that it wouldn't be a great thing to be the first team to, oh, to win yeah. in all well, a Cork, a Cork person says that and actually fully believes it. Uh, well, the rest of us can sort of from the outside look in and think, wow, that's a, that's quite the quite the dollop of uh, self-awareness there. Uh, Sarah Donovan, you mentioned her and obviously she spoke a little bit about the Cork bench yesterday. Did they stick it, stick or twist in terms of some of the players that are there? You mentioned Ashing Thompson, but one of those. Uh, number one, what's your sense of that? And um, I mean, I was going to ask you for a prediction after that, but I'm, I'm going to assume I know, uh, know the answer to that one. Um, yeah, it, do you know what? And I was thinking about this when I when I was listening. It, it's very hard, like, for a manager to be in a situation like they have obviously three all stars: Orla Cronin, obviously Ashton Thompson, and Dave Laura Hayes, who are incredible players and have been incredible service servants to to Cork. If they decide to to twist and go and start the three, and they don't win, there's probably more damage than than good in that sense. Um, because obviously this team has got them to the all in a final. So mm-hmm. I think they're probably more impactful off the bench, and we've seen that. And obviously last year, as I said, when Warford were doing really well and, and they're winning by five points, bringing on Ashley Thompson quite literally changed the game. And even la- even the last day against Galway, and they brought on Ashley Thompson with, what, like 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes to go, she changed the game, she calmed things down. I remember she picked up a ball in her own full back line. And she more or less waltzed out to three or four people and just passed it to the far side of the pitch. It was up the far side and it was a score. And so that's a sign of really good players where she seems that she has a lot of time in the ball and very comfortable and quite literally just runs through three or four players and, and it's up the pitch. Uh, so yeah, I would stick with what, what has been successful and have those in, in, in the foreign, in the foreign line. Um, the score, I think that I think it'll actually be very, very close. Uh, over the last number of years, it's been nip and tuck between Warford and Cork. I know Warford bet them early on uh, in the season. I'm going to say Warford by a point after extra time. Oh, very specific. Well, uh, you'll look like Nostradamus and all if that uh, if that comes off, which is the the benefit. And if it doesn't, we'll never hear from it again, which is the beauty of the way these things work. Absolutely. Uh, pleasure chatting to you. Thanks, million. It's great to talk to you lads. Have a great morning. Thanks a lot. The games, by the way, on Sunday, Clare Tip in the junior final, 12.50 at Crow Park, Derry Meath, 2.45 in the intermediate. And then that game we've been discussing at the senior final, 5 o'clock, Sunday evening, at Crow Park, Cork, up against Waterford. Uh, we're going to turn our attention to rugby in just a few minutes' time, but a few comments that have come into us uh, over the course of the morning. Shifty, lad, good morning to you, Shifty. Watched highlights of the Derry game. They played very well, totally deserved. Uh, plus far more exciting listening to foreign commentary as they bring an excitement yeah. to their job. Wow, that's good commentary in Finnish. Uh, Jesus, uh, shots fired. Um, um, where does the lack of goal scoring stem from in Irish football? The men's team, the women's team, League of Ireland teams in Europe, we're all the same. There is, like, there's generally, uh, this I is, uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't underplay this. Like, seriously, it's not. And a lot of the, um, I mean, what did Ireland have? Seven shots on target. I know we're playing very conservatively, but we don't. We, we just produced like one of the hottest striking properties mm. in Europe. Who? In Evan Ferguson. 
Yeah, but don't don't be bigging him up too much now. No, but I'm I'm just saying, right? Like I, I and even if he wasn't there, I'd probably still be making the same point that given the size of the country we have, given the competitiveness of the different sports that we have, right? We're not fully focused on soccer here. There's a lot of other sports taking up the resources. What do you want? Like, the League of like, Ireland is bereft of good strikers. I know, really but, like, but, but for those reasons, what I'm saying, like, mm. of, course, of course it's not to say uh, that we shouldn't be doing something to encourage more people in that area to be better players and to stock up those teams going forward. And I'm sure the academies at the League of Ireland, I'm sure they're doing all that. Like, you'd have to assume that like, uh, purely from a financial point of view, they're the players that can make most money if they end up being sold on. But I just don't know that we should be saying Irish... I, I'm, I'm extrapolating from the content that Shane is sort of saying well like that's our lot as Irish people sure we can, how can we produce a striker which is historically not true and currently not true well yeah but Evan, Evan is still very young um, but like across the game we, we're bereft of strikers really we are like the, the in the League of Ireland Chris Forrester and Max Matt have been top scorers Matt is not Irish Chris Forrester is not a striker um, and Rovers have scored one goal in seven and that was a penalty um, and the one thing you'd say about Derry who've had serious problems up front themselves they've had to um, change between McGonagall and Kavanagh they, they they approached the game with it was they weren't remotely negative like they weren't they, they were just so positive the way they approached it and that reminded me a bit of Vinny's Dundalk team that basically it, was, it wasn't it was like Vinny says you score three we score four I enjoyed um, but, that actually but, the, but the, 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 there was an element like it was a crazy game last night the Derry game it was like there were so many incidents notwithstanding the goals but their, appro- their approach was so positive I was glad they were rewarded there was no conservatism in the way they played yeah. whatsoever uh, Danny Mack League of Ireland is way overrated by some media Rovers proof this prove this every year in Europe uh, C Bracken says weak sided uh, Weak, oh sorry, on the underrated skill bit that we spoke about at the top of the show, uh, the weak-sided stick pass. Yeah. Um, Adrian, I think the debate uh, straw that was drawn pre-programme, I think the debate straw, I know I'm reading this wrong, uh, was drawn pre-programme, but Katie was just plainly wrong. I feel sorry for Pau being undermined and whispers during, uh, uh, from the players wouldn't help. Uh, that's not glossing over, uh, boom, 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 boom. Uh, Cullum spot on says a comment that's been sent through to us here um, by the producer of the show uh, from Keen Row. <laughs> Captains do it every week and nothing is made of it. Uh, this is about the Katie McCabe, Vera Powell stuff. Tiago Silva, Henderson, all these types of players, one hundred percent give their opinions, and the managers almost definitely tell them to f off. Yeah, I, I'd I'd just completely agree with what Vinny said on it. I think Katie McCabe that she's let herself down here and she was above her station. She's not the manager. It'd be grand if. Vera Powell wasn't um, if the contract wasn't up for grabs yeah. if it wasn't the end of the it undermines her and it certainly in my view it undermined Katie McCabe as well because you don't do that Yeah. alright let's uh, turn our attention to rugby because uh, the World Cup is basically uh, kicking off give or take a couple of months tomorrow with uh, Ireland's interest in the warm up games uh, starting against Italy and uh, delighted to say James Tracy is on the line morning James morning James how are you getting on? on yeah not too bad not too bad um as you're saying there, pumped to finally finally here. Uh, I feel like we've been chatting about it for ages, so yeah, excited to to get to get our teeth stuck into it. And for a pile of players in the team, like it does feel like uh, here's your chance. Yeah, and, and uh, looking by the team that was selected, uh, that's definitely the way they've gone. They've gone with uh, like some interest in parents, but obviously trying to build a lot of continuity. Uh, I think like. Probably the most interesting one uh, would be maybe Darius at seven. Um, like 
I look at the squad when it first came out and you're 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 seeing like probably don't have an out and out seven after uh Van der Fleer. Omani's probably the obvious choice um to go in there as as kind of like cover uh if, if Van der Fleer was to get injured and then um you're looking kinda who's next and, and maybe Doris is, is probably the next in line to uh to fill that jersey if need be. So good for him to get miles uh miles in the clock in the jersey and uh interesting back row on paper like you you look at Baird he's kind of like a Tom Croft uh, of all type type uh six um and then Conan you know who's like a you know test Lions test number eight and, and I feel like only for Doris having uh the the season of his life he, he would have uh been unbelievably prominent last year so he, he's getting a good run um to, to put his hand up uh, at the start of it. But yeah, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts, lads? Are you, you're excited? The the back row is full of class. Yeah, yeah, there is a bit of that. Uh, albeit, like, I'm not sure is what Andy Farrell is thinking, obviously, for the games that run after this. Is this sort of last chance saloon and then after this we get a bit serious about the teams that we're starting to pick? Or what do you think? How do you, th- how do you see playing out from those games after this? Uh, I would say last chance saloon, but... I'd say it's more rewarding, lads, for, for what they've done in training. You know, uh, like Joe McCarthy getting his first start, I think he burst onto the scene, uh, was, you know, and, and he's kind of hasn't really looked back from that that point of view. I think he, he probably um, is getting an opportunity with, with an older head um, in Henderson beside him, which is always a, a great thing to do. Like, you look at the at the bench, they've done that with, uh, with Healy and... Um, and Furlong uh, with Tom Stewart, and it's it's just such a a settler for a young fella playing the biggest game of their life, having two old heads have been there a million times, um, and it'll give them the best opportunity to to put their hands up and be a bolter uh, to make their way into that starting twenty three. Because I feel like from what we've seen uh, over the last two years, it'll be hard to break into that starting fifteen, especially. Uh, unless you have an unbelievable next few games. From the outside looking in, right, it's really hard to get a handle on how those conversations go during the week on this topic because we tend to use it as a bit of a cliche. I've just used one there. Is it last chance saloon, right? But like actually internally, I wanted to get a bit of a fix on how that plays out. And so I was looking at your Ireland caps last night and I think I'm right to say the one start was against Japan in 2017 in a game that like there was a lot of people, uh, Marmion, John Ryan, Treadwell, funny enough, uh, one of them that got a shot um, under Josh Smith. Was it like, expl- is, how explicit are those conversations in that week leading up to the game in terms of the opportunity? That's it. It's it just put on a, especially from my experience anyway, it was put on a plate, just been like, you know, you've, you've gotten yourself to this point um, and, and here you go now, take your opportunity, make sure you you do the best which you can with your time in the jersey and, and that's what you want. Uh, I'm excited this week, uh, especially to see um, the partnership, Casey and, and Crowley. Uh, I feel like Casey was um, like, he had, a, he had a very, very, very strong game the last time Ireland hit Italy in the Six Nations. Uh, he, was, he was obviously with Byrne that day. I feel like building partnerships with uh, with players who are in your own provinces is 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 invaluable because you just get so many more minutes with each other, so many more reps, whether it be in training, whether it be week to week, that you have you go through the bad days together, you go through the good days together and you just grow as a unit. And I think keeping them together is um it's it's a good idea for Munster, it's a good idea for Ireland long term, but excited to see how they go because they're going to 
both going to want to be pushing for uh, to be, you know, pushing for the maybe the twenty three and and uh, looks like maybe they've you know kept Murray and uh, and Burn together. But you know, again, I'm hypothesizing there. But yeah, um, for the for these two lads, the the more they build that relationship, they'll come as a package. Then you know, and 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 that can only be a good thing for Irish rugby. What if Crowley, that, what just if just 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 one on on on? I just want to follow up on the point that you made about the 2017 game. Was that a conversation with Joe James? Uh, it depends, right? So you know, he wouldn't necessarily have an individual conversation with every player, but like throughout that was a tour so throughout the tour you have plenty of opportunities to sit down you know whether you're, whether you're in the video room whether you're whatever mm-hmm. it was kind of like you're going to get an opportunity at some point you know make sure okay. you take it was kind of the conversation I'd had it wasn't specifically what game we hadn't played any games at this point yeah. um, so it was train well and uh, you'll get an opportunity make sure you take it when you do so, so it doesn't need saying at the time and then afterwards how did you go in the game and what happens afterwards in terms of like Obviously, you're analysing the hell out of it in your head, I'm sure, afterwards as to what sort of an impression you've made. Uh, yeah, it didn't go amazingly well. It wasn't a, a complete sinker, but it wasn't amazingly well. Uh, but yeah, you're you're going to be like overthinking it massively, you know, especially if it doesn't go well. So um, yeah, I, I just remember, you know, there was a million things I wish I could have done better and all that different things. And I probably, a lot of players would have that, that self-talk after games, even if you would be perceived when you watch the video back, you're like, I actually didn't have as bad a game as I thought I had. But uh, yeah, it's always that battle with your own self-talk. Of you, you always concentrate on the things you could have done better versus look at the bigger picture when you watch it back and you're like, okay, actually was happy enough with the, a lot of things I did well there and I can fix up those little things. But for these guys going in, it's going to be, uh, they, they love what, you know they've gone through two blocks of like really really tough preseason training. It, they know they're going to be blown, so it's just getting the kind of cobwebs uh, blown off, making sure that they're nailing down on on the stuff that they said they're going to do. You know we all uh, sit down, you know each team. I'm sure at the start of uh, each block, and you're like everyone wants to win the World Cup. Okay, how are we going to get there? Talk about all the things, all the boxes we're going to tick, what we're going to do on the pitch, what we're going to do for each other. Um, so it's actually not making that be lip service and backing it up on the pitch um, with your actions I think that that's one thing as like non-professional sports players that we, we never think about enough the terrible beauty of being able to watch yourself back and like watch a game like from, and, 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 and almost probably thinking how did that go and watching it back and then revising your opinion or seeing something that like Jesus I, I screwed up there like and it's like it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to have but it can be um, I guess it can be like strange watch yourself back as well but on another point what's he looking for here from Crowley like in terms of if he's envisioning in his head the World Cup and he's like we're going to get situations at out half where you know we'll, we we may need our second or third choice out half so what, what's he looking for here in the sense of I know you're, you're obviously going to expect to be at Italy but what's what, the, the Crowley situation for me is fascinating where, he, where he's emerged in this situation now so what I'm looking for out of him anyway is to control the game. So Ireland uh, have a very um, structured uh, attack and plan. Um, and, you know, he needs to fit in really well. And you feel like, you know, when we're at our best playing on top of teams, and it just looks easy. And I, I think watching him play at the tail end of of, uh, of Munster's season, 
that's the Crowley we want to see playing is just comfortable playing, you know, whether with the right thing in place, whether it's a crossfield kick when the defence is closing, whether it's playing the right pass. So just being comfortable, bossing the team, um, kicking his goals. Like, and you know, it's like, like too simplified in it, but just being the best version of him from what we've seen already at the end of, of Munster season and, what, and the glimpses we've seen of him in a green jersey. That's what we want to see. You don't want to see, he doesn't need to be man of the match. He just needs to be really, really good in his uh, core roles. And I feel like making everyone else look look better. And, and that's exactly what you want from him because Sexton's going to start if he's fit. So it's who is going to be the, the next in line, whatever happens. And uh, it's, you know, it's it's up for grabs. You know, at the moment I, I have Byrne in, in at number two, but who's, who's, We've got a few games here for for him to, to change my mind uh, on that, and uh, I'm, I'm sure it's you know because it's so close. I'm sure it's pretty even split on on who most people think should be the number two. But mm. uh, I think Burn edges them at the minute, especially with like Miles in the clock and stuff like that, and just general how he fits into how they play. But he's now at a whole preseason in there with them. He's going to have he's the first opportunity here. He's playing with his pal who. He's got more reps than anyone else with as at scrum halves, so he's got every opportunity and excited to see where he goes. It's it's an interesting one psychologically, isn't it? Because you're trying to you're trying to at once like um, make a real case to yourself here, but without being flashy at the same time. Yeah, and that's that's the struggle really. Is uh, like Joe Schmidt used to have a line before, or he used to we used to have a subs meeting before uh, international games and his line to us was fit in first. So don't feel like you have to do something extraordinary just because you're in on a new stage. It's You're here for a reason. Keep doing the same thing that's got you here. And uh, I think that's probably um, something, you know, he'll have in the back of his mind. Just do my role. He's like, he, he stuff will come naturally to him anyway. You know, he doesn't need to try and make stuff up. Uh, I feel like he's a, he's a, he's a quality player, so it'll come naturally to him. Fit in versus a good a good one. What was the when you saw the team yesterday? Give us your first thought when you saw Rob Herring at hooker. Um, yeah, no, I I I would have expected uh, to be honest for him to to be in there, and then uh, I, I think the the ones where I was kind of surprised slash uh, very happy about to see was um, Stockdale and uh, and Earl's partnership back in the wing. I think like that's an exciting one that. We haven't seen for a long time, um, and I'm hoping for for Stockdale especially that he can get his mojo back at international level. You know, he was unplayable for for a few seasons, and and uh, just that sport. You know, sometimes you you lose your momentum, and hopefully he'll be able to get it back and hopefully get early, a few early scores or a few big moments in the game just to get the Stockdale that that. Uh, you know that iconic uh, try against New Zealand, the chip, the chip and chase, like those those moments. You know, you want to get that that guy back. I've never asked a former hooker about a hooker before, and he moves on immediately to talk about a winger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, <laughs> Rob, Rob's he's uh, you know, like battled it out with him for for years. You know, he, he's uh, he's a, he's going to be a leader at, um, in that group definitely. Uh, I think for him, it's it's more taking your opportunities when you can because the other two have just set the bar so high yeah. um, 
it's not not an easy spot to be in where you know the fit in first probably doesn't doesn't uh, go for him as much where he probably does need to do things outside of his game to push the off thing. But I don't think he's going to do that. Like I wouldn't if I was him, I wouldn't be chasing stuff that's not my remit. Like he's you know what you're going to get with him. He's going to be unbelievably accurate with his line out. He's going to be a leader around the pitch. He's great at scrum time. Um, he, he's a real nuts and bolts player where you know what you're going to get from him. I think yeah. like when Ireland have needed him over the last three years, he's come up in spades with huge moments, whether it be big tries, big throws at the end of games. Um, can't say oh, I've been jealous of looking at him, taking those big moments, and, and he's been he's been exceptional. So, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> can't say you have been jealous or can't say you haven't been jealous, sorry. <laughs> I can't say I haven't been jealous. I've definitely been jealous. I'm being honest there. But, uh, you know, you have to take your hat off every now and again because he's, uh, he's continually stepped up when he's been asked for, especially in the range of Just one last one for me. Uh, you touched on Sexton earlier on and I was interested to hear Paul O'Connell's comments during the week about his, uh, Sexton's obsessive approach to rugby, um, saying that he watches everything that moves, that he's, you know, back in talking about every game. Was that your experience on a Monday or Tuesday? He's back in talking about whatever games happened. And and O'Connell was um, framing that in the sense that, like, this will be fine. Like, he's obsessive about this thing. He'll be full bore in training and this will all be fine. He was trying to reassure a nation. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I for one didn't need any reassurance ever uh, from, from knowing him. But, yeah, listen... He's like a, a Michael Jordan-esque type uh, person, character, player, generational talent. I I have no worry in the world. And to answer your question, like obsessed is an understatement. Like he's, what is he? He's 37, 38, still playing the game at the, the highest level. You kind of have to be obsessed to be able to have the drive to, to do that. So uh, that in itself says it, says it all, but I'm not one bit surprised, you know, that he, he's a, he's a captain of his country and I can't put into words how much it means to the man and to anyone. It's a huge honor. It's captain of your country, but he, that was for him. It was, it was just, it was the, the ice and the cake to, to an amazing career, but it wasn't just, I'm okay. I've done that. You know, I'm done. Like he wants to win the world cup. And I, 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 I don't know if, if uh, many of, past captains have had the firepower and the team and the belief to actually believe they can do it. I know in my heart that he knows that they can do it. This this team can do it. And, and uh, that is the most motivating thing in the world. Never mind. He's already uh, an obsessed freak uh, mm. and a perfectionist and, and everything you need to be to be one of the best in the world. Probably a stupid question. Like, does he, does he chat to Crowley about the the experience of Saturday and what give him a little bit of advice? John, I would say if Crowley seeked it out, he he would one hundred percent give it. Uh, maybe if he felt it was right, he might give it. But uh, I I don't think Crowley would necessarily need it. You know, I, I feel like he's played in big games, so um, it's more he would. Again, I'm just guessing here, but you you kind of you go hard on each other in training, and that's how you prepare. You know, he's going to have to train against Johnny in training. And Johnny's going to be going 100. percent So if you can deal with Johnny at 100 percent, and the team that's coming against you, you'll be well prepped for for the weekend. And that's more a way of of preparing and passing on, uh, especially to someone who's in your position. And mm. um, you know, like the, the the best thing you can do for them uh, is is be hard on them and and be hard on each other because that's only going to make everyone else better. So uh, 
sometimes words aren't necessarily necessary. Sometimes they are. Uh, but I, I could imagine Crowley would have would have just been uh, pushed to the limit in training from from everyone, especially from from the other eight halves. And his experience with Munster and his his, his little experience with Ireland would have set him up well. But if he if he had any questions to ask Johnny, I can guarantee you that door would be open to to any knowledge you want to know. Yeah. All right. Well, it'll be the first of many chats. I'm sure we'll have over the coming weeks and months. James, thanks a million. Good man. I'll chat to you soon. Thanks a lot, James Tracy on the line there, former Leinster hooker. Some interesting stuff in relation to the team uh, to play Italy tomorrow and uh, looking further ahead. Who do you have as a second choice out half at the moment? Good question. Probably Ross Byrne. Like, I am interested in James' comment there about we'll see how he goes over the next few days, Crowley, uh, weeks, Crowley. Um, and maybe there's a case for putting him in. I do wonder if... Um, yeah, just interesting, like Crowley finished the season so well, Munster finished the season so well, that wasn't really the case for Ross Byrne, certainly on a team point of view, there was certainly people critical of him Yeah. Uh, uh, after the way Leinster's season panned out, maybe all of that wasn't, um, especially in relation to the potential drop goal at the end of the leinster La Rochelle yeah. game, maybe that wasn't all, maybe there was a nuance to that that people weren't um, fully sort of on top of, but... Uh, I do wonder, like, because uh, that's the last real competitive game where Andy Farrell gets an opportunity to have a look and sit, make up his mind. Mm. And I wonder, has he made up his mind? And I wonder how much um, importance they'll put on these games. Tough for Joey Carberry to be in this position now where he's kind of looking on. He's gone, it's like... Mm. It is tough. Know, even from a Munster point of view. Yeah. Um, mm. 8,000 people on O'Connell Street last, last night to uh, welcome home the Republic of Ireland after the World Cup and amongst them was Maeve de Barca, former Ireland International. Maeve, welcome to the studio. Thanks so many for having me. What was it buzz like? It looked very good. What was it buzz like down there last night? Yeah, it was nice for the girls, I think, just to get a taste of what they, I suppose, what the, the crowds were doing back home, you know, and how much support they had back home because they were in such a bubble over there in Australia and they wouldn't have gotten to experience that. Mm. So it was nice, yeah, for them just to, to get a taste of it last night. Um, and everybody was a body language expert to... What's, did, they, did they look at each other? Was there interaction? What was said? Yeah, it was kind of funny because initially they brought the management, Vera and the management out on stage and then they all went back off stage and then the yeah. players came on separately and um, they all got individually introduced to the crowd, which was nice and a few players, American-based, had to go back to their clubs straight away so they weren't there. But yeah, it was interesting to see the interactions but then later Vera came back on the stage with the players so... Yeah, it seemed to be all fairly amicable anyway. Yeah, and we're reading in like a lot into what she said. Stick with us, we'll, we will win medals at tournaments. And is that the Royal Us or is that like yeah. you hanging around? Um, she certainly not, you know, uh, was full bore into the party last night. And uh, if the FAI are of a mind uh, to move on from her after this, she's certainly not going to make it easy for them. But what he's trying to say there is, what did you make of the dance? <laughs> oh, I'm not. No, I'm the establishing the start of the show. I have no issue with the dance. I preferred Amber singing myself. But, but she's, she's not saying she's, she's not the saying they're going. Oh, it's been brilliant. Thanks a million. You've been so warm. And she's saying, no, no, we're, we're on. We go. For her, it didn't seem like any bit of closure or, or final goodbye or anything yeah. like that. It was more a continuation, which is um, was I suppose slightly surprising. But then again, yeah, like you said, she's not kind of ready to say goodbye yet as such but it does seem like um, you know from looking at from the outside in that the writing's on the wall for her I think mm. Why is it? 
Uh, just, I suppose, when, you know, players are asked, do they support her and they decline to comment, then, um, you know, maybe it's, it's a bit telling, really, that, you know, there doesn't seem to be that support there for mm. her. And I think when you lose the dressing room, I'm not sure if there's, you know, it's it's very difficult, I think, to continue after that. It's funny that they, you say lost the dressing room, but Ireland aren't, they're not playing badly either at the same time. No, they aren't, and like they're they're actually their performances over in Australia were great, and I I do think if it, like it keeps been repeated, but if it was a, a purely football decision, I think she'd be in. It would be a no brainer. She obviously brought us to their first major tournament. She did the same with the Dutch back in the day. She brought them to their first um, Euros as well. So she definitely has a football pedigree, you know. But I suppose when a player is essentially banned, or sorry, a manager, she's essentially banned from working in the NWSL, the um, US League at the moment until um, the allegations are cleared against her. Then um, I think I think really just the end of the day, what needs to happen is the the internal review and ask the players what mm. they're thinking themselves. Mm. Yeah, the language of the statement certainly didn't suggest that this was. Um, you d- I don't think you word a statement that way if you feel that the outcome might be that she's staying on. So we'll have to take a watch and brief on that. It does. Uh, bizarrely we're sort of in a position for the reasons that you've outlined where we may well end up losing a manager and yet the bar for whoever comes in after that has actually been set really high like the expectations now into those uh, Northern Ireland and Hungary games in September like if we're not getting six points in the Nations League out of that suddenly it's like you know no matter who it is that's there what was all that about? Yeah, they've big fo- shoes to fill, you know, um, in fairness, Vera did do, like I said, exceptional job results-wise. And it is, um, it's, a, it's a job that so someone would need to think a lot about before taking on. Obviously, if it was, it was an Irish person, it would be a huge honour or as a well, you know, a well-experienced um manager from abroad as well I'm sure a lot of people would jump at the opportunity but like you said it's a bit of a tricky one to go into because we have been on such a I suppose such a wave of excitement as well and like the results like we did mention you know narrow losses and the draw to Nigeria they were great considering the opposition we were up against so yeah the new manager will will be up against it I think I had a little bit of a look around last night because there hasn't been a huge amount of chat and like why would there be when somebody is still technically in a job but not a huge amount of chat about who the replacement might be and I looked at the odds um, and admittedly Tom Elms and Eileen Gleeson are the first two names on the list and I think there would be a bit of obviously continuity about that and potentially welcome but it really struck me that we just need to be very careful what we wish for beyond that because you know um, Phil Neville was number three on the list Colin Bell um, who you know uh, obviously did a job for a period of time I don't think was particularly pined for after he was gone uh, and, and and a litany of names after that I you know beyond the top two and maybe there's a less obvious option out there but definitely a little bit of be careful what we wish for here yeah, it's true. I mean, I think, yeah, both Eileen and, and Tom. Eileen would have worked as an assistant before. Um, she went to Glasgow now. She's obviously working in the FAI as well. Mm-hmm. So I think both of them <clears throat> would be great appointments, like you said, for the continuity and they'd be familiar with the, the women's game in Ireland as well. It's a point that I'm always kind of harping on about a little bit. I know the the manager always seems to have the job in isolation of just looking after the national team when there doesn't seem to be any kind of p- the progression of the pathway within um, God, I've heard that before. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's like a broken record, but I think, I really think that the, yeah, the success of a domestic league, you know, in turn, ripples has a ripple effect onto the national team because we can see it 
you know, with, um, I would say the likes of Germany, but that wouldn't have. Wow. <laughs> that's not a yesterday. But, you might have said yeah, that. exactly. Uh, you know, France, all the top elite, the top nations do have uh, strong domestically. So from that point of view, I think um, it would be good. But yeah, the likes of um, yeah, Colin Bell did a job yesterday against Germany as well. But mm. I I wouldn't foresee that he'd come back. I'm not sure. Obviously, what's the state in the League of Ireland? Then we'll say if you look at like off the top of my head. Even closer to home, Don O'Reardon, Alan Murphy, Collie O'Neill have gone from the men's to women's game. But like, what managers are? Is there is there any manager who could say like that he or she would be good enough to do this job, or is there a groundswell in the League of Ireland that we're good enough to do this? Yeah, I mean, like Don O'Reardon, he's a former manager of mine. He has the pro license, and um, he's as qualified as they come. You know, the likes of him, of course, um, could be a possibility too. Um, so there is definitely, yeah, we have. I think. It is one of the kind of uh, shining lights of the FAIs, their coach education department. I've been through it myself, and they do do um, implement really good courses. And I think the quality of co- coaching has definitely improved. I would kind of maybe classify as similar to Iceland in that regard. They have a really, really mm. strong, um, for such a small nation, they have such a strong um, coaching infrastructure. And um, yeah, there's there's plenty of names. It's hard to think off the top of my head, but uh, there's there's plenty of qualified coaches within the country. I You're think. saying it's more than managing the senior team. This is a bit of a bigger role than that because obviously it's like it is a bit of a root branch top to bottom as well yeah well I'd I'd like to see it as a broader role but Mm -hmm. I don't think I think usually they are just that's the issue I suppose their their job is solely to focus on the national team and get results so Mm -hmm. it's only ever going to be a short term or a medium term plan there's never going to be a long term plan if you're in a job and you need to get results really doesn't matter what the grassroots levels are doing because they're never going to impact your um, success so does the style of football matter? Um, it's hard to tell because I mean in this World Cup we've seen defences really um, outshine the attacks mm. in a way like and there is three teams like I was saying there that, that are in three countries that are in without having conceded a goal they're in the, the round of 16 so um, for me personally as much as we'd love us to be I'd love us to be playing expansive attacking football I mean there's also you're your leading yourself to be um, open for to get hammered as well mm. and that's something that going over to the World Cup I don't think we were ever going to it was never going to happen really that we were going to get trounced um, five or six nil mm. you know although seeing as how Morocco have gone <laughs> maybe it could have been a good thing get get um, get beaten six nil in your first game and qualify for the round of 16 but um, yeah I think sure yeah it, it would be nice like saying the men's team as well it would be nice for us to, to play a lovely brand of football but I think you just need to look at, at the players as well and the, what their strengths are mm. We could have been having very different conversations like if those fine margins um, had just even the narrowest of ones had gone our way the slightest little grain of rice had gone our way um, we might have been talking about a very different uh future I think for Ireland maybe even for it would have been a much more difficult conversation on Vera Powell obviously if uh, they had gone away and we'd also been looking forward to England versus Ireland on Monday morning like I what know. an absolute dream fixture that would have been it really once the, the fixtures were announced that's the one I was yeah. eyeing up you know what might be like and it would be huge you know obviously now it's, it's England Nigeria it doesn't have the same ring no. to it for us as Irish fans and it really would have been a great chance because we haven't played um, England in the last 10 or 15 years. I can't remember. It's, it's longer than that. We just never have friendly fixtures against mm-hmm. England, um, which would obviously be, be a great fixture to have. But yeah, it's disappointing. And you look at the likes of Jamaica, who are through to the round of 16, having only scored one goal. Um, from a set piece so you kind of think maybe what might have been I know <laughs> even the likes of Switzerland as well another 
another crowd who've kept clean, yeah. t- three clean sheets, only scored two goals. Another crowd, I like another, that. that crowd, like. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I mean, I suppose you're always going to think, it's not so much regrets, it's just more that like what might have been, maybe had we been handed a different group or had, like you said, maybe an OG not gone in or the penalty not mm-hmm. been conceded, like small margins, but at the end of the day, that's football, I suppose. Nothing, yeah. you know? What uh, chance do you give Nigeria? They obviously gave us a good insight into what they're about and uh, like a team filled with quality obviously what chance do you give them because England are looking against the odds last night given uh, some of the bigger uh, lights that have maybe exited the tournament and some that have maybe failed to impress in a way that we thought they might England I think are favourites for it now yeah, I mean, their only slight hiccup, for want of a better word, would be the Haiti 1-0 win. But at the same time, they got the job done and they got mm-hmm. the three points. So, um, yeah, they're definitely, I think, they're going to stand out in, in the next round. Nigeria, it's hard to say because I think they took the foot off the gas against us. I think they were happy and they knew a point would get them through. So yeah. I think maybe we didn't see the, the same intensity from Nigeria in the second half against us. But, um, yeah, I'd give them, give them a chance. But I think... For me, I think England would be definitely favourites to progress to the quarterfinals there. Mm, and you have like Swiss against uh, Spain, Japan against Norway, like all good games. What are you, in an overall sense, now that we know the last 16, who are you thinking? I think as well, there's standout ties, probably Sweden, USA as well. It's the first yeah. versus the third in the world. And they were actually grouped together in the last two World Cups in the group stage. So uh, I think one was a nil-all draw and then USA came out in top 2-0 as well in the last World Cup. So there's a lot of history between those two teams. And I don't think both either have like like lit up the tournament as such. Um, USA in particular, they... Uh, Portugal hit the post in the last minute so had they scored that USA would be gone home which would be You've not been impressed with the USA at all? No, no. not really uh, not yet anyway yeah. now a lot of their games also have been at 2am so I've watched limited yeah, amounts yeah. of them too but uh, I, I still think they always find a way it's just their mentality they find a way to win no matter mm. what and even if it's not pretty I would probably expect them to, to be in the hat in the okay. quarterfinals as well your uh, main takeaway then from last night before we leave you um, obviously we had a bit of a sing song Amber Barrett leading the way on that front we had like the players you know shuffling are you going to uh, you going to retire Neve? and like the sort of oh, I better crack a joke here and just try and get out of this and kick it down the road to another day what was your main uh, takeaway from events last night yeah those kind of questions in a way I'm like oh you know, would you just leave leave her alone in a way and let her, her make up her own mind? But then I suppose you compare it to the men's game and would we be asking these questions to, to the men's players and Same, it probably, probably would be too. Yeah. So yeah. Fr- from that point of it, it's great to see the conversations been moved on and such, you know, uh, interest around the team. Um, personally, I'd love to see Neve stay on, um, being a Galway girl as well, and we mm. would have played together at Salt Devon. I think she has a lot more to give um, to Ireland and I think her experience is just, um, it's not replaceable, you know, so personally yeah I'd love to see her stay on but yeah it was great um, just to, you know great for them to like I said just to have their, their moment and have be able to see the support that was there and hopefully yeah it was a little bit obviously that the Vera thing just kind of hangs a slight cloud over the whole occasion but it was a really good celebration and um, it was great now we can look forward to the Nations League campaign like I said um, starting on the 23rd of September Yeah. What did you do today uh, Maeve? I analysed a homecoming Actually <laughs> much more It rarely happens yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we'll have much more to analyse because we'll have events one way or the other over the next few weeks as to whether she's staying or going and then we'll be into September and I think everybody's uh, really excited and looking forward to that um, and again with the Aviva particularly I think for people to get out and show their support uh, post World Cup 
Uh, Maeve, thanks a million for dropping in. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed that. Thanks a lot, Maeve DeBarca there. Half past nine, uh, it's OTB AM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball. Uh, we are nearly out of here, but before all that, Cameron has joined us in studio. Morning, Cameron. Morning, lads. What's the crack? What are you doing over there? Are we not finish up at half half nine, no? Oh, okay. Well, I just go, is it? Well, what, what, what is Thanks your... for coming in, but go Yeah, on. cheers. Jeez. T- tell us, what, what's it all about? Well, I was over in Wales a couple of weeks ago for um, a mountain biking event, the Red Bull Hardline, which is known as one of the most difficult um, mountain biking events in the world. So there was a bit of Irish interest this time. Ronan Dunn from um, Wicklow was competing and uh, I went over to see what he can do. He's a really interesting guy. We're going to play out with an interview today from him. But uh, it was a fantastic experience. You get to meet all the different athletes that are involved in this and <laughs> you realise that a lot of these guys are a little bit insane because it, like, you go up in the track. We went up in a Land Rover Defender into the Wash Valleys up to this track way up in the mountains and um, you see across all these jumps and there are some where it's just like you don't even you're up to maybe a foot off the end of the ramp and you can't see where you're going to land. Jesus, yeah. I presume there's like I've seen some of that stuff uh, it comes up on my TikTok feed which will tell you um, maybe yep. all you need to know. Stuff, yeah. But um, Your kids were on it were they? <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they, I look at those courses that exact thing that you're describing and I think well there's a muscle memory there or there's I've run the course or I've mm. cycled this course there's like a I'm taking this hop but I know every inch of what I need to do off this ramp mm. to hit where I need to be yeah, they do a run or a walk through before the event because they landed in on Wednesday and the event was scheduled for Sunday. Now, unfortunately, the weather meant that there was that the event was cancelled entirely. It was a real shame because it looked like it was going to be brilliant. You went all the way to Wales for an event and it got pulled. Yeah. Nightmare. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, really good fun. <laughs> really, really glad. But I got a, we were flying out of Liverpool, so I got a trip to Anfield out of it, so it's good. I'm supportive of it, but I'm also wondering why. Why? Why I went to Wales for a an event that mountain biking event. I mean, being cancelled was out of your control. But yeah, being uh, you're sceptical of. No, no, I'm 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 supportive of it. Mm. It's just unusual. It is unusual, but I thought um, the way it was pitched was this is this is the one apart from maybe the World Cups that a lot of mountain bikers love taking part in. It was great to see, just as a sort of off-piste sport, um, if you pardon the pun, um, to see how that works and the passion that's involved and actually the camaraderie in the community that's something that really struck me was a lot of the more experienced riders like G. Atherton or Bernard Kerr were taking all the younger athletes because it is there's a lot of there's a young crop of whom Ronan is a part uh, that are coming through now and the older guys are more than willing to take the guys through the track mm. tell them how to land how you're going to take this jump because it is terrifying and you hear you talk to some of the athletes about some of the injuries and they're so nonchalant about what they've done like oh yeah I broke this one here this this this, like this jockeys a few ribs gone yeah you know I got off lightly what's that place down in Limerick called the, the, the biking place in oh I really should have looked at this before, yeah, before mm-hmm. we chat I was down there for years ago it's uh, trail biking and okay. it's savage like mm. brilliant mm. Um, must go back and do it again sort of good but and it's a brilliant but, outdoor but there, activity and there's not much uh, not a huge amount of areas in Ireland to actually do no it. and that's something that Ronan laments is that we have all these mountains natural 
natural bike parks. He says in uh, this piece that there's no reason we can't host a World Cup. And you think of the benefits of tourism, of bringing all these adventure bikers and adventure tourists into Ireland to take on, say, the Ring of Kerry for a mountain biking tour. And it just seems like it's very hard to get over the line. He says, apart from maybe places like Glen Cullen Adventure Park, there are so few places to go and do this, which is a massive shame because you think pump a bit of money in, get the resources. He said there's no reason why you couldn't have, like, say, gondolas going up mountains and then just a trail all the way down. It'd be a great way to see the country, a great advert for Ireland and the landscape and the beauty of the place because, actually, when you go up, and we went in a helicopter, which was another terrifying, well, not terrifying, but interesting experience during Were you this. over on a jolly, a junket? Yeah. Pretty much. Ah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Why didn't you, when I said why, why didn't you just say, well, I got an invite to... I got an invite, it. yeah. I was, was it Land Rover? Uh, no. Okay. Red Bull were... Oh, okay, okay. Sorry, because so, you name-dropped them earlier on. I just yeah. thought... Oh, no, that <laughs> a load of, yeah. now, we're, now, we're, now we're at the crux of Ballyhowra, by the way, in, uh, in uh, Limerick. That's mm. what I was thinking of. So have you done it before? I did Ballyhowra before, yeah. Okay, uh, and so. proper mountain biking? Ah, uh, like, mates, mountain biking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. To, you but know... Great fun, like, I mean, you know what's par- involved. perilous. Yeah, I have a cousin who went to Whistler last year, right. and he said, yeah, that you do skiing season into the winter... And then summer is mountain biking, and it's absolutely brilliant. So it's a really cool sport. Not something I'm willing to try because I'm <laughs> terrified of that kind of stuff. But they're very interesting as athletes. Um, it's all downhill because cross country is the one that's in the Olympics, BMX. Oh, yeah. uh, and Ronan is not interested in doing cross country because it takes a lot more cardio and stamina. Downhill is very much a kind of technique. Yeah, yeah. And. A thrill seekers. I'm just glad we brilliant. got to the bottom of the whole thing. Uh, Cameron, to be honest with you, Ronan. Ronan yeah, he Don, can take it away from me. Ronan Dunn's coming up in the most. It's <laughs> funny just even cycling itself, like the, the you know, and I only got in cycling during lockdown, but the differences in the the cardio challenges, we'll say, of like the tough challenges of cycling up hills, but then the, the literally the the bottle of descending, like, mm. and the, techni- the technical descending. And it's funny, my mate Ronan got me into cycling, but we went over and cycled in Mallorca and we we cycled people all over the world and we were crazy compared to everyone else. Like they were really, really tender at all the bends. And we were all we were all two months later then I had a very bad crash. But like the descent the technical and the, the, the actual bottle you have to have to descend at speed is and that's just on the normal bike. And that's it. And the there's a real push because unfortunately it was cancelled but uh, this was the first year that female riders would mm. be able to qualify for hardline and um I was reading a Guardian piece with some of the more experienced guys like G Adderton and they were saying the reason that females have struggled to get into the sport is not so much the strength but the the strength required to balance the bike after a jump that Mm. you know you are wrestling with this thing Mm. after you jump and it's not the easiest thing to control because my thoughts were when it was raining oh this would make it easier because there'd be a bit more give in the track it'd slow you down a bit but they're like no you want to try because if you slip at all all that's you you're done so uh, somebody who's come sport. off their bike once or twice, I can I can empathise with that. Mm. Um, right, that is coming up. Uh, Cameron, thanks a million for jumping in. Johnny, thanks a lot. Thanks Enjoyed that all morning. And uh, I mean, if people were, hadn't their appetite whetted enough with you, you're back again on Tuesday morning. It is going to be. Ooh. I mean, Dan and I apparently. OTBM is always worth tuning in for. But Five day say, weekend, especially so on Tuesday after the bank holiday with yourself and Dan. It's, this is the mad thing. I like since becoming a journalist, I'd never know when there's a bank holiday or not. It's just I work weekends. It who's makes no sense to me. That, who's the Who's the big dog there? Sorry, what? Who's the big dog then between the two of you, like? 
Oh well, well, actually, that's that is a that is a good Who question. Who's the Who's the biggest ego saying? If I'm going to be part of this duo, I have to host it. I well, I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't have an ego really, but I, I, I it's me. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. That's really all, all the best. That we were looking for all the best. The performance rankings, all the reaction from the weekend's football, camogie, and rugby, plenty more besides as well. Cameron's interview with uh, Ronan Dunn upcoming. All the best. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball